0: Hey, welcome to the 242nd episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is the podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com/slash Heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to The Secret Podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. I just started talking about 1980s Moon Knight, the original Moon Knight series, so you can hear about that. I'll probably talk about issue two this week. Go back and look at that. If you can't commit to monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash Heck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. That is ko-fi.com slash from heck. Did I mention my taxes were horrible this year? Oh, my goodness. I had to pay so much on taxes. I have to, like, renew my website because I'm, like, out of storage space. So anything you could do to help would, would be greatly appreciated. You know, hosting a podcast costs me money. Boo-hoo. You know how it goes. Uh, yeah, we all need more money. I need more money. But let's talk about what's happening this week. A uh, movie feature is going to be Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. Um I, I don't think it's been a secret that I've been super crazy about the the past movies. Uh I really really was a Harry Potter fan, you know, not like hardcore, you know, dressing in a robe or anything like that, but I really I've read all the books and I've seen the movies, you know, more than once and just really enjoyed those. The Fantastic Beasts movies, I don't know. Um, so we'll we'll see how this one goes and I'll talk more about that later. Um also, oh my goodness! So, as as I mentioned last week, we've got the season finale of Severance. So I know it's like a week behind. I'm actually having withdrawals because it's it's been a week now. Oh man! So that's it's probably gonna be a little longer than a normal uh, segment because you know usually I spend like maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes talking about a show. So I think this is gonna be a little longer because it's the last one and there's just out of season. Uh, there's so much to talk about. Then you um, got the third episode of Moon Knight. Which, um, hmm, yeah, there's definitely some things to say about that. And then, of course, Star Trek, Picard, and The Flash. And that was it. Uh, I think Superman and Lois is back next week. So there wasn't anything else. Um, oh, actually, I might talk about The Bubble. I, I think I'm talk super briefly about The Bubble, a Netflix movie that came out, I think it was April 1st, on April Fool's Day. So just hear a little bit about that. I, actually, I watched that uh, the other day, finally. So it's a Netflix movie. I don't know if I mentioned it. Um, but let's get started with uh, the news. So The Flash, speaking of The Flash, which we'll be talking about later, one thing Jesse L. Martin, I guess, is going to be leaving the show. He might show up a couple episodes in the next season, but the reason he's leaving is apparently he's going to have his own show on NBC. So, hey, you got to do what you got to do. You know, If it's taking a lead role versus a supporting character – I, I totally get that. One thing I will have to say, and I thought I was going to mention it later. Maybe I'll, I'll, I might mention it again. It seemed like I, I realized a couple moments in this week's episode, there's like a big cast. There's like so many people, so many different characters. And there's just a couple scenes where everyone's just like standing around in Star Lab. And it... it Looks a little, and in me, because I sometimes get distracted, and I think about like the whole production side, I'm thinking about this, it's like, you have all these actors just standing there, you know, and you got like the lights and the camera people, and you know, just like all this stuff going on, and I'm like, you're just standing around, and one person says they're lying, then the other person, it, it just, it seemed a little absurd, a little ridiculous, that, but there's just like way too much, and plus the fact that this is The Flash, and they keep referring it to Team Flash, it's like... Can the Flash not do this stuff by himself? That he's so dependent. I mean, it's great to you know work with others and all, all that stuff. But, anyways, so I totally get it. Because I, it's like, I guess I, what I wondered is like, how much is what, what's the salary you know for everyone? So he, if Jesse L. Martin's going to do his own show, maybe it's a better opportunity for him. So you, you can't blame him, especially you know when the show's in its ninth season and you know it's a shortened season. But that's the other thing. You know, it's a shortened keep saying referring to it as a short ninth season. It's only fifteen episodes this season. I think last season were eighteen, so fifteen, eighteen. It's only a three episode difference, and yeah, three episodes is is, a, is can make a difference, but it's not that much of a short. It, you know, back in the day, we used to have like twenty two episode seasons. So, um, but I, apparently, Hollywood Reporter says there's talk that this abbreviated. Um, ninth season is going to be the last one. So not really sure what other factors there are. Cause you know, Grant Gustin made a point that he only wanted to be in 15 episodes. And I still say that they could, they could do a couple other episodes. Like they could have a, a another Bart and Nora episode. You don't have to have the flash every single one, especially since it's team flash. You don't, you don't have to have flash in every single episode, even though the show is called flash. So we'll have to see um, what happens. Like, will there be a 10th episode? I mean, maybe things, who knows? I mean, it's it's way too early. Or maybe they're just going to like write it out and say, okay, yeah, we're done. But uh, it's a little concerning if they're making that decision already. Because then it's like, are they just going to go through the motions just to, you know, fulfill this last batch? I hope not. I would think that they're going to be professional enough not to do that anyways. But also going along with that, uh the legends of tomorrow and batwoman st- still haven't been renewed there's they haven't been canceled either so there's there's been no word on that and i think naomi hasn't been uh renewed yet either so if the flash is going to be if this is going to be the last season of flash you know they need to start thinking about well like what's going to happen after you know they want to make sure they still have stuff coming so i don't know uh stranger things 4 trailer so i finally uh I, it, it took me a, a couple of days. I finally watched it because you know, I'm. There's some things where I'll I'll gobble up that trailer like as soon as it drops, I'm going to watch it right away. But then there's other times where it's like, I, I especially when you know we've had to tease a trailer, we've had a trailer. You know, there's more than one. Like the Doctor, there's been so many like sh- TV spots or whatever Doctor Strange trailers and you know uh, Multiverse of Madness. I don't want to watch anymore. I don't need to see anymore. Don't show me any co- more cool stuff. I have my ticket already. I'm going to watch it. I don't need to be spoiled by anything else. So Stranger Things 4, I was like I was like okay, I guess I will watched the trailer. It's kind of watching the trailer made me I was like, "Man, I kind of want to go back and rewatch all the the previous the, the previous 3 seasons." I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think I'd have the time to do that. Unfortunately, I wish I could. I really want to make that happen. I don't think I'd be able to cuz I just I got too much on my plate. Um but one thing I will say about this trailer so it looks looks ambitious there's a lot going on um it got actually got me more excited the well I don't know if it was a first teaser but there's one I was like okay I, I don't I don't know how I feel about this but this one it just it, it I don't know if I want to say it looks epic or anything but it just looks like very grandiose. there's there's a lot going on and everything um, one thing of note so they play worlds apart by journey in there and it's kind of like it's like the the trailer remix treatment where they they kind of stretch things out or just kind of do it a little differently and just isolate the vocals or this or that or whatever i really like that song i really like i really was a, he was a huge journey fan at at the time so when they do that and when they try to like oh let's do something let's try to just mix up the music and do something it's kind of, I, I mean, part of me thinks was like, oh, I, I kind of like that. That's cool. I, you know, I, I can totally dig what you're doing here. But then part of me also, it's like, man, you're just doing it for suckers like me who think that that's cool. And because, like, you know, the uh, Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City, where they used four non-blondes hang out in, in the trailer. I, I kind of dug it. Um, Moonfall using Bad Moon Rising. I kind of dug it. <laughs> Even though it's it's almost like insulting to the original band, but I'm sure someone signed, they hopefully they signed off on it. But anyways, May twenty seventh, Stranger Things four comes back. So so there you go about that. Uh, Dead Boy Detectives. So they are getting an it's been greenlit. I think I don't know if they just did a pilot. HBO Max. There's gonna be a series. One thing of note. So if you've been watching Doom Patrol, you saw Dead Boy Detectives it's not the same dead boy detectives it is it's the same characters it's not the same actors it's not the same comic universe which is unfortunate I thought the, what we saw in Doom Patrol worked I mean it. it they sold me on it but I guess it, that that's where it was a little confusing because I think when they first announced that they kind of happened at the same time so it's like weird that we get two different versions but it's just like we had two we sort of had two different versions of Cyborg so whatever That that's fine and uh, you know, Dead Boy Detectives, created by Neil Gaiman, and I forget who it was the artist. But anyways, so that's gonna be good. So look look forward to that. I think it was a couple weeks ago. It was mentioned by me and whoever originally reported on it that Sharon Stone was in talks to be in a Blue Beetle mo- movie as Victoria Cord, brand new character. No information. Is this? Ted Cord's wife is this Ted Cord's mother? Probably not his mother, but it's not going to be Sharon Stone. Apparently, it's going to be Susan Sarandon now. So maybe things just didn't work out with the deal. So Susan Sarandon is now going to be in, in Blue Beetle. So it's like okay, that's interesting. Uh, the Witcher season three. I still haven't watched season two, but they've they've added uh, I think like four people to the cast. Robbie Amell. Who um, you may know from the flash, I won't say anything more about that right now. and that was it that show called Next? What was that Amazon Prime show, which I never finished the first season and I think there was actually a second season. I don't know if it dropped or, or not, but I, I was I was kind of into that show and I just I just stopped watching. I don't know why. Um, so Robbie Mel is gonna be in it, I think as a, a character that hasn't appeared in the books. I think that's what I saw. And then um, I'm probably, unfortunately, going to say this name wrong, Meng Er Zhang. Uh, she was in Shang-Chi, so she's also going to be a... And then there's two other people. Um, I didn't immediately recognize them, and I was kind of in a rush, so I, I didn't jot anything down. So more people, so that, that's good. Uh, Craven the Hunter, Levi Miller, has been added to the cast. So Levi Miller was in pa- Pan, um, Wrinkle in Time. And a mystery role, not not sure who he's going to be playing, but Craven Hunter is going to be is, is due out on January thirteenth, twenty twenty three. It's a little concerning releasing a movie in January. It's not the not known for it's you know the big blockbusters, uh, and Morbius, uh, I I still Morbius is not doing well. <laughs> Morbius took a seventy three percent drop in its second weekend, and. I just – I don't think it quite works with the villains. It's one thing if you want to do like what Marvel did with the Avengers. Introduce each character, reunite them in the Avengers movie. So I don't know if the if Sony is planning on introducing the villains and then team them up together in like Sinister Six or something like that. I I get why, you know, yeah, that that could work. But there, there's just no connection because, you know, you're, they're trying to build this – Spider-Man, Sony Universe, and it's not even a Spider-Man universe because of you know it's it's not even in this same Earth, you know it's a different Earth, multiverse or whatever. So I just I, there's no what what what's making people go to see Morbius when they may not have even heard of him, you know he's he was in a '90s cartoon, and the same thing with Craven the Hunter. I mean. Yeah, comic book readers are going to go check it out. I'm going to go check it out. But other people might be like, what, what are you talking about? So we'll see. But hopefully that, that will be good. Uh, what was good was the Batman, obviously. So that is, um, by the time you listen to this, it should be available on HBO Max. On, so that's on the 18th. And it's coming on Blu-ray, 4K, all, all that stuff on May 24th. So I'm, I'm definitely going to pick it up. I I'm, I'm gonna get a 4k copy of that. So if you haven't seen it yet, you'll be able to watch it. I'm sure it's still gonna be playing in theaters. Some people are like, oh, that's so dumb that they're putting it on HBO Max and you know they could be making money. It's like no, they're still gonna make money in theaters because you know some people don't have HBO Max don't really want HBO Max and some people just want to see it in the big screen. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Walter Scobell is going to be Percy Jackson in the Disney Plus series. So uh, Walker, did I say Walker? Walker Scobell? Uh, he was in The Adam Project, so he was a little kid. He was like young Ryan Reynolds. Spoiler. I think that was in the trailer. So. So, so that that's good for him. Mads Mikkelsen, who was in Fantastic Beasts, Secrets of Dumbledore, so I'll talk more about that later. He compared Indiana Jones to Raiders of the Lost Ark. He just said it kind of has like the same feel and vibe and just everything like that. So that's that's pretty good. We'll have to see. And he said it felt like it was this, you know, Steven Spielberg movie, even though it's not. Uh so I'm 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 excited for for that. June sixth June 30th, 2023. So hopefully that's gonna happen. I I debate about talking about this. So America Chavez is as you know gonna be in Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness. America Chavez was Originally, going to be in Spider Man No Way Home, apparently, as like a disciple or something for Doctor Strange or something like that. They ended up scrapping that idea. So, she's going to be Multiverse of Madness. Joe Casey has been talking about, you know, Joe Casey is a co creator of, of the character. And I don't know how I didn't know that. It's like I, I totally forgot about that because he, he created another character, very similar, and put that book out at Image. And, I, and when I first read this book, I was like, why is this why is he writing his characters like just like America Chavez and that makes sense. And anyways, he has been pretty vocal about he got an insult of an offer from Marvel over creator rights or whatever for America Chavez being in Doctor Strange 2 and appearances on like the whatever's the animated something show. So I, I, it's, it's. This is another one of those weird situations. You know, he, he has said that, like Disney hasn't paid him, and they're okay with that. Okay, that might be the truth. Part of it is, is they tried to pay him, and he's like, no, he's like, no, thank you. He's basically, not maybe, not necessarily. Like it was kind of like a screw you. He says it's an insult of an offer. I get that. He doesn't want to accept that. He's like, why should I take this? Is he's, he is saying. This is a joke. What you're trying to offer me for creating this character, for whatever potential money you can make out of this, I'm insulted by this. I refuse to accept this because accepting it means that you're okay with it to whatever, to an extent. So it's not that they're not paying him. It's that he's refusing to take what they offer him. So yeah, he can try to say, you need to make this better. You need to pay me more because it's worth more. I'm worth more or whatever. But at the same time, I don't and I don't know the specifics of it they don't have to pay him they don't have to pay him at all they they can give him you know so and so created by so and so credit but I'm assuming his contract at the time when he was at Marvel was you know it's basically work for hire and it's been known for a while now you know anything you create you work at Marvel you work at DC any character you create you don't own they own the character they might tweak things a little bit. Like I'm, I'm not really sure if, I mean, I don't know if Brian Michael Bendis has any ownership character, like for Jessica Jones or, you know, any, but maybe not, you know, maybe he's just happy to see his, his babies, you know, being adapted. So that's, that's a thing. You, you know, that the the trade-off is okay. You may, might not own a character, but you get to write X-Men or Spider-Man or whoever, and you're going to get the name recognition people are going to read your stuff they're going to say oh you know joe casey wow this is an awesome story versus if you create your own character and put even if you put out through image not everyone is necessarily if if they've never heard of you if you've never written at marvel or dc they might be like why am i going to read this i try to read the, the new series at image but sometimes i look at this i'm like and i feel bad but it's you know it's a matter of time, so I have to pick and choose. I, unfortunately, I can't read everything as much as I'd love to, because of pesky day job teaching kids. But if if it's if people don't recognize the creator, they might not read them. You know, Scott Snyder is doing all this creator-owned stuff, and people are going to read it because they know who Scott Snyder is. You know, he made a name for himself writing Batman, working at DC. So that that's the thing you you work at marvel dc people hopefully will get to know your name they'll know who you are and then they'll want to support you whatever you do wherever you do it so it just i don't know it's a sticky situation so that that's a trade-off you want you want to build up your portfolio or your name or whatever your brand you're not going to own those characters and if that's a main concern for you don't don't create really cool characters at marvel or dc Now that's the other tricky thing is you might have this really cool idea. Like I got this character would be awesome, you know, working, you know, fighting against Spider-Man or with Spider-Man or, you know, whatever. But if you want to do it on your own, you don't have that awesome character to you know bounce them off of. So I don't know. It just, it just seemed kind of weird that, you know, the way he put it is like, they're happy without paying me, but it's like they tried and yeah, maybe they should try to make it better. But do they have to? I don't know. And the other thing is, like America Chavez. I mean, right now, how much is America Chavez worth? I would. I. I hope America Chavez becomes a big character. You know, it, I don't. I'm not a like a champion for Latinx property, but every once in a, I. I do think that we could use more Latinos. You know, where are the Latino characters? You know, there's are not very many. So it could be cool. And and I do think it's important for, you know. Lot, the Latin ex community, whatever you know, little kids, they had, could have someone that, that quote unquote looks like them. So I, I think that's important. But you know, right now, could there be America Chavez movie? Um, at this point, probably not. Maybe after Doctor Strange, people might might want that. More likely, there could be a, a America Chavez Disney Plus show. But it's hard right now to say like how much is America Chavez worth. You know, yeah, there's gonna be a Marvel Legends action figure, but I, I I don't know. you know, I'm sure there's a Funko pop right it's It's just too bad. And in an ideal world, everyone would get paid what they deserve. And you know, you look at you know Disney's this big corporation. they make so much money, and you know they don't need all this money. but we're we're kind of you know we we want them to make all this money, so they keep making all this cool. You know, comics and movies and TV shows, because if something, if they're not raking in the money, then they're not gonna want to put out the money, you know, little less amount of money, you know, whatever to make this stuff. So I don't know. It's just it's it's too bad. It's, I mean, it's unfortunate. I I I don't want anyone to be upset or feel like they're not getting what they're deserved. But I don't know. So it's not up to me. And then the last bit of news is. Apparently, there's going to be a Wonder Twins, I think it's, a, I don't know if it's a movie, probably a movie, at HBO Max. So, Zan and Jaina. Jaina's going to be played by Isabel May, which actually, I'm not quite sure what Isabel May um, did. Uh, Zan is going to be played by K.J. Appa, who is also known as Archie Andrews in Riverdale. So, I, I think that's that's interesting. I don't know... How they're gonna play it? We recently had. I strongly recommend the Wonder Twins miniseries, written by Mark Russell. Hilarious, awesome, great art, great writing, really good stuff. I, I really recommend that. I would love to see the show in that vein. I think I think that would be really cool, but we'll have to see. So no no idea <laughs> if there was like a, there's kind of like a gritty version in the comics. I did a when I did the, the three minute experts. And I don't know if the video is accessible if you go to comicvine.com. I think maybe if you, because the last time I checked on Comic Vine, the videos were, the video player was was kind of busted. And I I reached out to support and uh, Matt Rory. And I was told that you can, if you watch them incognito in Chrome, they should play. I actually haven't had a chance to check this out and I think it's been like a week or two since I've tried at least a couple of weeks. I haven't had a chance to, to try that because it's not like I need to watch my old videos, but it'd be nice because, you know, there's, there's a lot of great content out there. And I did a, I did a three minute expert on the wonder twins. And yeah, you know, I, I think, yeah, I'm proud of what I did there because I, I took basic literary history from a couple different you know sources and try to try to make what I felt was a definitive origin. and there was, there is some there is was a weird, weird like moment with them with a Justice League, I don't remember what it was. Justice League something, Justice League edge, something edgy. So anyways, that's that's gonna be your edgy news for the week. With comic books at Image Comics. There was the Image 30th Anniversary Anthology, number one of twelve. Um, actually, you know, I don't know if I finished reading this. I don't think I did. I thought I did. So this is a—it's like almost like 70 pages. And let's see. It says celebrate the 30th anniversary of the first Image comic with a year-long parade of all new stories from some of the biggest names and biggest and best names in, in comics. Now, what's interesting about this? It's, it's an anthology thing. So, you know, there's going to be, you're going to have to, it's not just like one issue. You're going to have to, you know, commit to this. Because there's a story, The Blizzard, it's part one of 12 by Jeff Johnson, and Andrea Moody, and Ralph Lay. Or Rob Lay. Um, there's an old dog. I think this might be like a one part. I think there's going to be an old dog comic. This is Declan Shelby and Clayton Cowles. Then there's a, there's a story about Wyatt Kennedy and Luna Vecchio. Um, Wes Craig has a, a part one of four, Kaya. So Wes Craig, if you've been uh, – I, I subscribed to his newsletter thing and he's like shown – I don't know if he did a Kickstarter. He did a book or something. Or maybe it was just through his website where he's – or his newsletter where he's he's given previews for that. Um, Stupid Fresh Mess, a one part one of 12 by Scotty Young, Nate Picos. Um, and there's a uh, Brendan Fletcher and Erica Henderson, Kyle Higgins, a uh, shift. I, I think, I've, I thought I read that. So yeah, there's a, a lot going on here. So I would definitely recommend this, you know, if, if you're interested in these creators to see what they're going to do. And, you know, some of them are strictly going to be here, but I think some of them are going to kind of spin off in their own series and stuff like that. So this could be like, kind of like an intro and and so forth. It's five ninety nine, but like I said, it's, it's, uh, about like close to seventy pages, so it's it's definitely you know, you get your money's worth. King Spawn number nine, I still haven't read this. No idea what's going on. Like I don't even know what's what's the difference between King Spawn and and Spawn. And I know there's a Gunslinger, which is different. So I guess uh, I have no idea what's going on there. I I wish I, I don't. Know. I wish I wasn't behind <laughs> on, on on Spawn. And I I feel like I'm never gonna get caught up. So it's just like, yeah, it's never going to happen. So I'm I'm bummed, but I could do something about it, but I don't know if I will. And then uh, there is uh, Noctera number nine. What's interesting about this is there's, so there's this blacktop bill guy. It's totally evil, you know, deadly dude. And they're having to work with him now. You know, they're kind of teaming up and, you know, can they trust him? And do they want to trust him? And, and, you know, the, the whole premise of this, comic is the world is like shrouded in darkness and there's these beasts out in the darkness and you know they need to get certain places try to get to safety and there's all these creatures out there and these other bad people hunters out there and so it's just a a lot of big big crazy action you know scott snyder and tony daniel so it's a that's good I'm, i'm enjoying that at oh with uh IDW, I didn't read anything from IDW this week, but going back to the last week with the G.I. Joe comic, I realized after this, I was just like, I was so confused because Snake Eyes was in there doing all this stuff, and then a couple people were calling him Sean. And I'm like, what the heck? Why are they calling him Sean? And it just felt out of place. It's like, okay, maybe they finally revealed his name because I thought they never revealed his name. I thought a G.I. Joe book came out this week. Yeah, okay, it was this week. Okay, I was looking at the wrong thing. Uh, so I was, I was like, did they just finally reveal his name, and now everyone's – it's like that doesn't make sense, because, like, Scarlett, who knew him before everything, she know should know his name, but she always calls him Snake Eyes, and then all of a sudden she's going to start calling him Sean. So it's just really weird. What it turns out, because I, I did some some – Actually, what I did, I will admit, I go to Wikipedia, I go to Snake Eyes, and I look. It's like his name's still classified, so I'm like, you know it's like not there. I do like a search, text search for Sean, and this other dude comes up. Uh, what's his name? Sean M. Collins. So he's also known as Kamakura. Kamakura. So this dude, he's like a redheaded dude. He's got the tattoo under. So he used to be apparently if you read G.I. Joe for a while, so we're gonna get a little nerdy G.I. Joe talk. There's all these Freds, the Fred series, these these dudes who are all like they all look the same. You know, I think it was was it like just plastic surgery. So this Kamakura guy, according to Wikipedia, he's an apprentice to Snake Eyes. He so this was through when the devil's do publishing comics. He's the son of the original Fred Broca the Crimson Guardsman, who looked exactly like the rest of the Fred series. So his father is killed and later replaced by Fred Two, who is later revealed to be Wade Collins, a war buddy of Snake Eyes and Stalker. Kamakura appeared in the Marvel comic stories as Sean Broca, but did not become a ninja until the Master and Apprentice miniseries. He is a member of the Arashikara. Shik- I never know how to say that. I never actually tried to learn how to say that. So he has a tattoo on his arm. Now apparently something else happened, which I this is just how far behind I am in JI Joe. Apparently, Snake Eyes might be dead. He, I think he sacrificed himself. So long story short, apparently what happened is so so uh, Snake Eyes sacrificed, offered whatever. Then uh, this this dude going under the the Sean going under the code name Throwdown. He takes snake eyes mask and he like puts it on uh, his vocal cords get destroyed. And then I guess at the, the, in the sick bay Hawk offers him the opportunity to assume the snake eyes identity. I'm reading this off of Wikipedia now in order to have Cobra continue, continue believing the original is still alive. But as a result, Sergeant Sean Collin is declared dead so that's why so I I totally miss this I I don't know when I guess I could look up when when he he died when Snake Eyes died it would have been 2015 could that be right? JJ, Real American Hero 213 has Snake Eyes been dead that long? that's how far behind I am so anyways <laughs> that's that's why I was so confused I was like why the heck are they calling Snake Eyes Sean now all of a sudden um <laughs> I'm eating popcorn now. I shouldn't do that. I put that away. But what I did read also this week, well, kind of read <laughs> IDW. I was spending too much time on G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe. <laughs> now you know and knowing that the battle, right? Man, just starting this. Uh, they've released G.I. Joe Real American Hero 40th Anniversary Special. Basically, this is uh, G.I. Joe Real American Hero issue 21. It's like a tribute to that. If you're a G.I. Joe fan, and I hope you are, because if you're not, you're like, man, you're spending like like 15 minutes talking about G.I. Joe. So this is the silent issue, silent interlude. This was the one that this comic, oh, my gosh, this comic blew my mind. And I barely was a G.I. Joe fan when I read this. I was just starting off and I'm like, what the heck is going on? I don't want to spoil the ending. You probably already know to spoil. It's it's you know it basically shows us there's a connection between Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow. It's like what? How could this be? We know nothing about these two. Oh my gosh, these comics were so awesome back in the day, and, and you know not that they're not now. But man, it blew me away. So this comic, what's really cool about this is it's it's basically you get the original the original stories is reprinted in here, like in the second half, but the first part you get the comic and so the entire comic there's there's no words to it it's all it's all told with just the imagery which is amazing because you know you think about how hard that must be you have to convey the stories the get the point across no dialogue it's all about body language and everything like that and it's just a such a brilliant brilliant comic larry hama you know i i applaud you for doing this i mean it's to this day i i read the whole thing twice when i, when I read this issue so the first time, it's basically each page is drawn by a different artist. And so you get to see their their, their take on their, like, you know, like like Freddie Williams, the second, you know, those page. And, like, Robert Atkins, who does a lot of G.I. Joe, you know, he did that. <laughs> there, there was a Rob Liefeld page. It was just like, oh, <laughs> um, Yeah. And, uh, but it's really cool to see that. And then you can compare it to the original if you haven't read it in a while. And so... If yeah, if if you've ever read the original, and it this it's it's interesting to, to check that out. Okay, at Boom, uh oh, did I read anything at Boom? Was there anything I normally read? Oh, I did it again. <laughs> Seven Secrets, sixteen came out, and um, I didn't read that. I I, oops, yeah. So you should read that. You should be reading that series. It's it's really good. At DC, there is Batgirls number five. And I'm still I'm I'm enjoying this series. You know I I really like the character. You know I, I love Barbara Gordon. I love uh, Cassandra Kane. I love uh, Stephanie Brown. W- you know what 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 is there not to like about this comic? There's my little nitpicky things. Barbara Gordon here and Barbara Gordon and Nightwing. It doesn't really fit together because in Batgirls you know she's staying at a place with Cassandra and Stephanie, but Nightwing she's practically living with him. I guess she's not not fully. So, anyways, but that, that's just a minor thing. And then the other thing, while I, I totally dig and appreciate all of them being called Batgirl, you know, I think that's cool, I just think it's a little confusing. Just like Arthur and Jackson both being called Aquaman. Because when they're together, when they're out in the field, it's like, hey, hey, you know, Batgirl, hey, Batgirl, Batgirl, can you do this? No, the no other Batgirl, you know, it's, it just it can cause a problem. They, they kind of mentioned that once. I don't know what the answer, the solution is. You know, they could go back. I don't really like the name Orphan for Cassandra. It just, it, I don't know, it just never really really clicked with me. And, uh, you know, spoiler, I, I dig that just because that's what it's been for a while. But I also like Stephanie as Batgirl. And Barbara, you know, she could be Oracle, but then, you know, she's still dressing as Batgirl. So there's all that. But anyways, aside from all that. The story, the story's fine. You know, there's there's this tutor, just this, this dude, what's his name, and you know, just trying to figure out like what's going on and how are these people getting controlled and, and, and so forth. So, I I'm I'm enjoying the the story that you know it's it's really building up, like strengthening who these characters are and everything. And and I like the fact that you know they're not necessarily in Batman's shadow. You know, they're not operating. With him, or you know, with his help, or anything like that, so I, I, I can appreciate that. Um, Batman 89 issue five, so more with Harvey Dent. You know, he's Two face and you know, this is basically uh, it from the Michael Keaton Batman, like in, in that continuity. And um, there's definitely some things that happen. You know, there's an interesting interaction between Harvey Dent and uh, Jim Gordon. So that's gonna have repercussions there and and so forth so it's it's i'm i'm enjoying it something- there's there is something that makes it feel a little i can't quite put my finger under, so you know i I read it and it's the same thing with with the superman seventy eight where there's just something about i don't it's not i don't know if it's the art or the color there's something that just makes it feel different from like the regular, like a, a, any regular Batman or Superman comic. It just, it feels separate somehow. And I don't know. There's just something, I, I just can't figure it. Do you feel the same way? Does anyone else feel, you know, feeling this? I don't know. But then there is a Batman Catwoman issue 11. Oh. Um, I was actually a little confused with this. Cause you know, there, there's some stuff with phantasm and, you know, she's having flashback talking about her, like her son and Joker. And so now I'm like confused. I'm still confused. And maybe I need to go back and read something, but it's like, wait, who's the father of this kid? And there's a part. Cause she's like, you know, this is when I met my kid. It's like, wait, what? And then what, what is Joker's deal? So wait, I was almost like spoiler. Cause it, okay. I don't know if this is a spoiler or not because I'm so confused. It's like, I don't think it was saying that Joker was the father with her. I don't think it was that Bruce was the father with her. Or was this, like, someone else's kid, and then she ends up kind of taking the kid in as her own? I really don't know. And how could I, like, totally miss that? And also the fact that Phantasm hasn't really been in the last few issues so much, just kind of, and then now, I don't know. And then there's just, like, stuff with... Also, because you know you got the the present and you got the future stuff with with uh, basically Batman and Catwoman's daughter and I don't, I don't know. Oh, I think there's one more issue, Batman: Urban Legends. I didn't even I didn't even get this. Look at it because uh, I you know I haven't read the last couple, and there could be something new starting here, but or it could just be continuing from the others. Uh, I I should be reading that. Flashpoint Beyond Issue Zero. I almost didn't read this I, because I think I mentioned last week, or if, if it was last week, when Batman, Flashpoint Batman came out. I was like, oh, we're going back here? I was like, okay, you know, Thomas Wayne, that makes sense. But then as I'm, I'm reading it, I was like, wait, oh, man. I was like, I already read this before. I, Cause I was like, did they just get the original team back and they're just doing a new story? But no, it was just DC reprinting the three issue mini as uh, in a new format. So when I saw this Flashpoint Beyond, I was like, why are we going back to Flashpoint again? But then it turns out Jeff Johns is writing this, and this is new. So I was like, oh, okay, this is uh this is totally not what I thought it was. So it's a uh, you know Johns and Riso. are based, but but the thing. There's, I don't know what I should say. There's kind of a connection to what Jeff Johns did in uh, with the, the Watchmen with Doomsday Clock. And there's there's a couple of characters there. Uh, there is like a, a I was gonna say like a magic chalkboard. There's, there's a chalkboard with writing. This is something that DC has done a lot. You know, Marvel Marvel's also done it. Or you know, like all this stuff written, and you know, like what does all this mean? And you know. it's... So it, there's just a lot of like it makes you wonder. like, oh, is this true? Is it? And there, anyways, I don't want to spoil. It. I'm kind of I'm I'm a little excited with this as, as, as why I'm stumbling over my words. I'm sounding like a buffoon. I can't even talk. But there's also like somehow, Thomas Wayne, Flashpoint Batman. It's like, wait, how is he back on a Flashpoint world? Like, what's going on? And you know, there's different things. So there's definitely some some interesting reading here. So I, I do recommend that. Future State Gotham issue 12. I tried. I was looking, I don't like this this new Joker that it, it just, I don't even remember what it was called. I just didn't really like it. And then there is a, there's like something crazy that, not really crazy. There's a revelation at the end, the return of a character. But when I saw it, I was just like, whatever. So sorry. Uh, it just it wasn't working for me. Green Lanterns issue 12 is kind of interesting. So I haven't been like fully feeling this there's been something off a little bit about it and you know Jon Stewart he's going through some changes so you know I think this could be good news for Jon Stewart fans and as he's he's uh he's basically leveling up is what it is you know taking a cue from the, the flash CW flash we're finally getting somewhere with the fact that there haven't been green lanterns you know because the whole green lantern core was all they were all destroyed the batteries destroyed all this stuff and like what so they're finally resolving all that and jeff john jeff john john stewart is is playing a role in that and um i will say he he's getting a new name so this is an issue if that's laying out what's like the future for john stewart like stuff that's this the new status quo or whatever so you're gonna to want to check that out to see like what what is going on and, and why is he going by this new name and has this new look now. I am Batman issue eight. I'm liking this more than I thought. You know, I, I was a little resistant. You know, I, I read the I was confused when I think it was like a digital first series, and then when it started coming out, then I wasn't reading it because I wasn't sure if it was just the same comic, reprinted or whatever. So it is interesting seeing Jace Fox. Right, he's going by Jace, not Tim. As, as a Batman, he's basically bat, the Batman of New York. I still don't know. I don't know if I miss an issue. Like, does Bruce Wayne approve of this? And now, apparently, I must have missed this. I thought I was reading it. You know, this is issue eight. But I guess Lucius knows now that he's going as Batman. And he's kind of giving a little assistance, even though, you know, he's not in New York with him. So, spoiler, because I, I was spoiled by reading it and whatever. So, it's it's interesting seeing this Batman working with the police and kind of, you know, working more with the police than Bruce Wayne does with the GCPD. And uh, there's, like, a killer. To, the, he kind of gets in a little over his head. He, w- he wasn't quite expecting, like, what happened between the two of them. So, that's what makes this a little more interesting because... It's not just another Batman comic, you know, like, it's not just black Batman, you know, it is black Batman, but also it's a, it's a different type of Batman. You know, this isn't Bruce Wayne. He's not trying to be Bruce Wayne. You know, they're, they're take, there's a slightly different angle because he isn't Bruce Wayne. You know, he, he's less experienced. You know, he, he has this set of skills and everything like that, but, you know, it's, it's not quite the same. So, you know, you kind of have that different angle on there and, um, just his, his focus and his interest, you know, he's, he's more concerned about certain populations, which, you know, totally makes sense where, you know, people who often get overlooked. So it's, it's definitely an interesting, um, take on it and, uh, seeing Batman's fight not go quite so well, was a nice change. So we'll have to see how that develops. Then um, there's Naomi, season two, number two. Actually, I probably should have read. I didn't read issue one because you know I, I I was okay with the comic. I haven't read those Suicide Black Blaze book two. I didn't read that. Superman Son of, of Kal El issue ten. Things are getting w- really bad for John. John's new friend, boyfriend. If you, I, I already, is he officially his boyfriend? Yeah, have they? I don't know if they've talked about that or not. Maybe I think they did. I don't know. Anyways, you know, he's from this other country and there's this evil dude that's in charge and John has definitely ruffled his feathers and stuff like that. And this dude, you know, he's so evil. He's friends with Lex Luthor and stuff like that. So now they're trying to make it look like John as Superman. You know, he killed someone, you know, but that's not the case. And so it's just things are getting really bad. And there's a lot of like political danger as well. So it it gets to the point where Superman, you know, comes in. He's like, you know, we're, we have to put out this you know protocol, blah blah blah, whatever. And he has to move Jonathan and, and Lois to a safe house, or you know, because like because they're they're not safe there, and which is why they need a safe house. <laughs> and uh, so that that's pretty bad when Batman comes in. And then he, it, it he, Batman makes a comment about uh, John's friend. And, I, I just, and the reason I keep calling him that is because I, I forget his name. Is his name Jay? Uh, why am I not remembering his, his name? Uh-oh. <laughs> this is all I have to say. Uh, there's Sandman Universe Nightmare Country number one. I I should have read this. I, I actually was skimming through it. There's uh, the Corinthians in here. So there's, there's stuff with that. And this is written by James Tynan fourth, and then Lissandro and does the art, um, so there, there's some some cool stuff here, yeah, but um, yeah, something something about it, it just I don't know, it's something just didn't quite quite work for me. And in Wonder Woman 768, so I'm I'm behind in Wonder Woman, I haven't been reading this. I don't know, I'm not totally following this trial of the Amazon's part. Like I don't really know the, the whole point of it, but. What was kind of cool here is because, you know, you have Diana, you have Yara Floor and Donna Troy. And so they're all like working together against this common threat or whatever and, and stuff like that. So I'm just I'm just waiting for the new status quo to be established. Like, you know, where where is this going to go? And, um, you know, what is this leading to? So we'll have to see. <laughs> so that's that's a, unfortunately, that's all I have to say about D.C. It wasn't a good week for me, I guess. At Marvel, there is Captain Carter issue two. And I'm I'm enjoying this for what it is. You know, we got Karen, Car- C- Karen, uh, Captain Carter <laughs> as Peggy Carter as Captain America. So it's it's kind of like the what if cartoon, and we've seen uh, Captain Carter in Exiles and in that before. So she is trying to work in the modern day, and you know she's. It's interesting because like you know Hydra's starting to come out and people are kind of accusing her They're like well they weren't so active until you you know returned or whatever and and stuff like that and there there's some stuff where you know with with Peggy just not being aware of like like w- what she, exactly she's doing you know she thinks she's doing the right thing but you know the people she's working for might have different um, motives and stuff like that and uh, it's interesting that her. Her kind of like not necessary partner. What you know, she's working with Elizabeth Braddock, who doesn't appear to have mutant abilities that we've seen so far. I mean, maybe they're just just hiding it. But there's a um, there might be a development happening with her. Something that hopefully won't have quite happen. Something not so good. But um, but I'm I'm enjoying it. You know, it, it is interesting to see this this, this different. You know, it's it's a it's basically like an ongoing what if series, so that, that's that's kind of neat. Then, um, Electra issue one hundred. I debated about this issue. I was just like, ah, because then I was like, this is just going to be a bunch of one off stories that you know aren't going to you know they could be really well written stories or beautifully drawn, but these stories they tend to be for just like casual readers they don't necessarily have like big lasting impacts it's like here's a really cool character here's them in this really cool story like fighting someone or doing this or whatever but then at the end of the day like nothing really is changed you know the status quo or whatever is still you know there's no growth or anything to the character character is still the same doesn't mean it's a bad story or comic but for me with my t- i'm being picky you know, I, I if I'm gonna read something I don't necessarily need like here's like a celebration of the character. You know, it it could be cool and everything like that. I picked it up. There was a Chris G. Russo mini Marvels story and that that was everything. That's that's all I, I needed from this issue. one page, uh mini marvels. I'm a huge mini marvels fan. I would I, I would love to say I'm the biggest, but I I I'm sure I'm not. I love mini Marvels. I love Chris G. Russo's mini Marvels. I love Chris G. Russo's G Man comic. No, no relation, but I just think his stuff is hilarious. And like when we had some mini Marvel stories that weren't written or drawn by by Chris G. Russo, it felt totally wrong. No offense to those involved. It just, it wasn't quite as, as funny. I mean, Chris Chris's, his wit is just, he's like he's just so, like, on it. He's just so snappy. Like, hence hence me snapping my fingers. So this was, is just, it just cracks me up. And I, I like to think that my, I'm a little, I'm a little picky with what I think is funny. You know, I won't laugh at just anything, but then there, I get, sometimes I, f- I find myself just laughing at whatever. And anyways, but the, it was it was just funny. You know, there's stuff about with Electra and Daredevils and other people who have been Daredevil, like Iron Fist, and, you know, there's there's some funny moments. So I, I enjoyed it. Um, Eternals issue 11, uh, I don't know what's going on with Eternals. Uh, all I know is, is they need to access the Avengers Tower that is, like, the dead um, Celestial. So there's, like, some stuff going on there. I don't really know. Miles Morales, Spider-Man, issue 37. I can't say I, I totally love this. Uh, Miles, he, so he was going after the assessor dude who's kind of maybe sort of working with Beyond, the Beyond Corporation. He sees on this council that, like, what, Uncle Aaron is still alive in another Earth? But then I don't know if, if there's any specific, specific specificity, if, there's, if it was specific or not, that this was actually his uncle, or is it just a uh, Uncle Aaron from another Earth? And then he's like, "We gotta go after him." So him and what's the dude's name? I keep forgetting. Shift. I, I don't know why I keep wanting to call him Surge. Shift. So they go after him, and they're basically going through the multiverse trying to find his uncle. And spoiler, uh, it's in this in this uh, synopsis. He ends up finding Ultimatum, the other. Miles Morales, like the the six one six regular version of Miles Morales, yeah, and uh, yeah. So it's like, is Uncle Aaron so alive? What's going on? Uh, we do see, we do see Cowboy. I think it was in here, right? I'm not crazy. Or that's another thing. We see Cowboy Black Panther from one of the Exiles comics. So that, that was kind of kind of neat. So you have that. Uh, there's a Moon Knight Omnibus that came out. I wish I could get that. I really want to get that because the Omnibuses, Omnibuy, tend to sell out. Man, friggin' taxes. I can't buy anything. I really want this Omnibus because I don't have that many. I, I love a, a really nice Omnibus. I would love to get this, but that's just not going to happen. Because I, I, I feel like by the, you know if I wait till like next month, it'll probably be sold out especially with everyone there's so much Moon Knight stuff coming out which is great but it's kind of ridiculous that it's all at once oh anyways Star Wars 22 (laughs) what's going on um I'm kind of enjoying this but there's a lot of stuff with like Poe Dameron's mom and dad so his mom you know and with the rebel line because this is after this is between Empire and Jedi and she's like infilt- trying to infiltrate like a Star Destroyer ship, you know, with the Empire and get some information, but she's kind of stuck there. So then finally it's to the point where Poe's father is like, we have to go save her. So him and his little squadron are going to go, and things don't quite work out the way everyone would hope it, it would. So we'll have to see what's going to happen next. And then there's more stuff with Crimson Dawn and Cora. Um, what's her name? So uh, she meets with. Leia, and you know, there's there's a little tension there. Can they trust each other or not? And and so yeah, we'll have to see where where that's gonna go. And then there was also Star Wars, Darth Vader. This was uh, this was kind of interesting. What what I, what I'm enjoying about this. So we we have Vader working with um, Sabe. I, I I always forget her name. It happened last time. I I totally forgot. Uh, Kira Knightley's handmaiden character decoy for Padme, or what her name is. And it's like after I recorded the podcast, I'm like, "Ah, that's her name. I totally remembered it. But I think it's Sabe, because I know there was a Sabe. Sabe's not the one that died in the explosion, the bomb. So, anyways, the Kira Knightley character is alive, and and Vader's, you know, she's kind of working with Crimson Dawn, and Vader's kind of working with Crimson Dawn, but he's not. And, you know, there's a lot of manipulation, this and that going. And you know, basically, if this is Sabe, she is trying to figure out why Padme died and stuff like that. And there's kind of kind of crazy last page. Just like she like says something to Darth Vader. Like, wait, what is she exactly? Does she know? Venom issue seven. I I wish I was liking this more than I am because I'm I'm really not liking it so much. I don't really know what it is it almost feels like it can't be. There's like all these little things that are just kind of bother me with the series. And I don't know. I, I don't know if it's just all of them combined or if it's what it is, but after a King in black, Eddie became like the new King. So he's like out in space. There's so consciousness is out in space. Cause like, I think if I, if I read it correctly, if I understand correctly, Eddie Brock, died or his body died but his consciousness is still alive out in space and he's inhabiting other symbiotes he can jump around from jump 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 around he can jump into different symbiotes because crisscross will make him jump (laughs) and then Dylan is left on earth it's like dude why you Eddie you got your son back you're leaving him alone never mind the fact that I thought Dylan was like like seven years old and now he's like 15 years old I'm confused by that and he's bonded with the venom symbiote I guess and then there's still his cat symbiote and the life foundation is hunting him and I almost felt like I didn't read the last issue because there's this like biker dude this bar the guy worked at a bar that Dylan that helped Dylan out or something like that and I don't know what's going on what if (laughs) what if Miles Morales issue two Oh my God, um, this this comic, I really not sure. I really don't know what to make of this. So basically, it's it's a what if comic, and it tells a story. Miles Morales, you know, his his dad worked, you know, with I don't know if it was Shield or not. Miles is getting a little little itchiness in his knuckles because he's got bone. You know, basically he's he's like Wolverine. He ends up. I don't know how much I should spoil He ends up... He goes missing, like, in the 80s, and be, he basically gets kidnapped by, like, Weapon X, and he goes through, like, the Wolverine treatment, blah, 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 all that stuff. So, the, he's... Then, you know, the present, a few years later, you know, he doesn't age that much, obviously, but he's being hunted by someone, and it turns out to be someone, miraculously, coincidentally, someone that knew Miles before... So it's like, there's that. And then, so then this person's like, oh, dude, you're Miles. I haven't seen you in years. I thought you were dead. So I'm not going to fight you. And then they're like, that's okay. I'll fight him. Here comes Sabretooth. <laughs> and spoiler, I'm spoiling this. Sabretooth is his, his freaking Uncle Aaron. <laughs> so in this alternate Earth, The fates, or whatever, magically, you know, chain of events happen where Miles Morales becomes Wolverine. It also turns out that that Uncle Aaron becomes Sabretooth. Okay, that makes no sense, but it's a different. Obviously, there's going to be, I don't think there's going to be like tension between Miles and his uncle like there is between Sabretooth and and Logan. And then at the end, um, basically, Wolverine. Uh, let me find find a page. Oh, Miles he meets a group. <laughs> he comes across the X Men, and then <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know why this cracks me up so much. So you see all these X Men, and they they look kind of similar. Uh, you know, just artistic license, and I, that for the most part they're the same. <laughs> Eliana looks a little weird, but then the Professor X Professor X looks a little weird. Um, he's he's kinder, but then he says. <laughs> This is, I, I, oh man, this I don't know why this cracks me up. So Professor X, he's like, my name is, I don't know how to say his name. I never know. He says, is Genki Lee. You may call me Professor X. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Lee doesn't start with an X. Why would he call you Professor X if your last name is Lee? You can call me Professor L. Okay, that makes sense. Call me Professor G, even if you want. Call me Professor G L. But Professor X? That makes no sense. <laughs> my name is Gank Gank K Lee. Gank Gank. I don't know how to spell my name. I think it starts with an X. So call me Professor X. <laughs> oh man. It's not that funny, right? I'm just being dumb. But <laughs> I don't know what, what it is, something about that. So it has a what if? What if Miles Morales was Wolverine. Then um there was X-Men ninety two, House of ninety-two, I guess. It's it's supposed to be like the nineties X-Men cartoon. I started reading it. The art is 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 interesting. You know, it kinda has this um This kind of slick nature to it, which is, you know, they're really trying to make it look separate from the regular X-Men comics, which I can appreciate. The colors are a little, I don't, not necessarily vibrant. They're just, there's something a little different about them. Uh but at some some there's a couple of things that bother me like Wolf, you know they're they're trying to stop this dude you know with the sentinels and everything and Wolverine's got him and Gene's jeans like don't let him you know send out the signal and the dude you know Wolverine's like oh, you're such a jerk and I'm going to do this stuff and then the guy's like reaching over bloop he just hits hits the switch sends out this inf- it's like whatever um but yeah i don't i don't know uh, something it just it didn't quite click I mean, maybe i just need to try again because uh, I'd I'd like to like this comic, and then there's X Men ten, and uh, so this uh, Jerry Duggan and Javier Pina, uh, and you got Laura on the cover, Wolverine. Oh, I didn't realize what the the cover is kind of a spoiler because there's a a signal where there's like oh you know. Which I'm not really, really clear about how this works. Because, you know, the, the, this is a question that I've kind of had. So when the X-Men die and are reborn, you know, they go through these eggs and they're hatched and stuff like that. So, like, if Wolverine dies, like, what happens is adamantium. Because adamantium is supposed to be kind of hard to, to come by. They can I guess they can afford it now because they have a lot of money on Krakoa because of, like, the miracle medicine and stuff like that. But so it's like if Wolverine is born, then they reborn, then they have to put the adamantium back on them and stuff like that. But then they're saying that how like there's like so all this adamantium left over from Wolverine's death or something like that. But they detect uh, like a smaller, whatever, bunch of adamantium that's like being held somewhere. So they're like, uh, so Laura's like, that could be like. one of her clones or something like that. So she's like determined to go and figure out like, you know, rescue whoever this might be. And um, of course things aren't going to go quite as she would have thought or the X-Men would have thought. Uh, But it, but it's, it's kind of interesting to see how, how it all all plays out. So I like that. I I enjoyed that issue. And um, with that uh, ending on a high note, hurrah, um, that's going to be comics for the week with the flash season eight episode 11 resurrection okay so here we go we kind of have we're we're getting somewhere with this fire stuff finally so it starts off 2012 caitlin and ronnie first meet ronnie raymond and uh he has an injury in his arm and you know burn from something dr wells has him working on or whatever you know, he, he was fitting a high pressure coil or something like that. So, you know, she treats him, wraps up his arm and, you know, put some stuff on there and she's like, come back anytime, which, which is kind of weird. You know, she's like in a med bay or whatever. And it seems weird. And then, then he's like, Oh, nice to know you'll always be there to fix me up. Always be there to fix me up. Always be there to fix me. You know, it's kind of like echoes where <laughs> so then in the present there's the, the fire in Caitlin's apartment and she's like, Ronnie, how is it possible And then there's like, not whole without you. You can save us memories in the snow. It's like, what the heck does that mean? So she begs for him to tell her how to save him. Then the flames just disappear. Back in Coast City, Iris is like, what did I do? And Tinya's is like, what did you do to my mom? And she's like, I don't know. Tell me what happened. And then Iris gets a pain in her head. Sue tells Tinya, she's like, "Uh, you need to back away right now. And she's like, what's wrong with her? And Sue explains that she has a condition. And when it flares up, she loses time. And it's not her fault. You're lying. She attacked my mom. It's just like. Okay, I kind of like this Tinya character when she, and I I felt bad for her. You know, she was abandoned or, you know, given up and, you know, she didn't know what was going on. She just meets her mom finally and then Iris zaps her to nothing. You know, I don't know what happened. But, and if the fact that she's got got to realize Iris is like really trying to go out of her way to help her, you know, she's got to know at this point, because it's been at least a couple days or whatever, she's got to know that Iris, is there for she's doing this just for her it may be a story i don't even know so sue's gonna call barry on on a phone app but then her her phone like poofs away into green sparkles for some reason i don't know why that i don't even think iris touched it was wasn't touching it when i was so then sue yells at Tinya. she's like get out of here and but then she's gonna stay there and iris is like passed out on the couch so joe and cecile at team flash headquarters They've come up with like uh the potential victims from Kramer's files you know they they're looking at other people who may have been killed by fires before, so they were they're all killed in fires of undetermined origins in the last six months, and that's way before like the first victims that they just knew that the dude at the the bartender dude or whatever the owner and that's why um so be, because it happened so far back, Cecile reached out to the families to see if they were dealing with any kind of grief, which that seems like a weird thing. Like, how would he even ask that? Because it's like they're going through grief, even if it's been six months, they're still grieving over the loss of these people. So it turned out two uh, of the victims lost their parents and one lost a sister or something like that. So Barry says that, you know, they can capture it now because they have this device. Chester says that he tweaked it with uh, Frost and and. Caitlin's mom's something or other biometrics, you know, stuff like that. So then when the the alert goes off, they'll be able to take the the sphere, the device out in the field and let it do its thing. Barry says that they're still missing what's connecting all the victims. And if they knew, then they could figure out what this fire thing wants. Caitlin walks in and she says that it wants her. She knows that because she just saw it. And Joe's like, he's like, Why? What what does it want with you? And she looks over her shoulders. You know, there's like, you know, the pictures of the victims on the wall. And she's like, Parker. And they're like, you you know her. And she's like, yeah, that's my yoga instructor. And then she recognized the bartender and the lady from the bar. So they're like they were at the whatever place that when Frost and I went on our double date. And then another person was on this biochemistry panel with her. So they're like, or she's like, it's been after me the whole time. And Barry's like, but that doesn't explain why. And she's like, that's because the fire is Ronnie. And he wants me to save him. Like, he spoke to me. It was jumbled, but it was Ronnie. And Mary's like, Barry, not Mary, Barry is like, but it can mess with people, you know, with their memories and their minds, just like it did with Chester. She's like, I wasn't sure at first, but then she like downloaded some information, whatever. And Chester says that it's radiation from a singularity. And Frost says, yeah, Ronnie died in a singularity. And Caitlin adds, on our wedding date. So Ronnie and uh, Professor Stein went in as firestorm, but Ronnie didn't make it out. Caitlin says that matter can't be created or destroyed, only changed, so maybe Ronnie's still alive, and maybe the, the event broke down his body into like thermal dynamic energy or something like that. Bear is like, that explains the energy readings, but why are the fires killing people, and why would they torture Chester? And she's like, you know, if, if Ronnie knew about that, he would hate it. So she doesn't think that he's in control. So they decide if they use the splicer thing, the thing that Firestorm used, they could make Ronnie human again and the killings could stop. So Barry, um, he tries like politely saying that even if Caitlin's right, because you can tell he's not, he doesn't, he's not a hundred percent sure he believes it. He's like, the splicer needs two people. He's like, we can't ask anyone to volunteer And Chester's like, well, you know, we confused one of Ava. Who's Ava? Ava something's chips to the splicer, and you know, so then it wouldn't need a second person. So Barry's hesitant. He goes to talk to Caitlin later, and he's like, you know, things are moving pretty fast, and he's like, you know, we should slow down and make sure that we're doing the right thing. And she's like, we're saving my husband. That that is the right thing. And then she's like, fine, we can check the data. And he's like, it's not the science I'm concerned about. You know, the, the fire can manipulate people. And she's like, Ronnie is alive. She's like, I can feel it. It's him. And he wants us to help him. Barry's still unsure. Then she's like, she, you know, she's thinking about Marcus. She's like, oh, you know, he doesn't have any idea what happened. He deserves to know. So Barry's like, what are you going to do? He's like, she's like, I'm going to tell him the truth. So she goes to jitters, meets uh, Marcus. She said, she tells him, he's like, so for the last eight years, you've been working with the Flash? And then now your dead husband's come back to life? And she's like, I just want to make sure you're safe. And you know, Ronnie has unconsciously been hurting people around her. So she's like, I'm sorry, but you know, for your safety, I think you know we should stop seeing each other just until I get Ronnie back. Then he's like, But then what about us? And she's like, Well, you know, my, my last few relationships didn't really amount to much. So I you know I stopped trying to make a connection until I met you. Then he's like, you know, I'm not an idiot. He's like I, there is no us. He's like, you know, I've been broken up with before, so he's like, he he gets it. That's what this is. So he he says he says this quote from I love this quote, quote from Plato. Blah blah blah. I don't even remember what it was. But then he like he leaves. So Barry's checking on the severe thing. Frost comes in. And he's like, you know, Caitlin's so excited about getting Ronnie back that she's ignoring the warning signs. He's like, if this really is Ronnie, why is he coming back now after seven years? He's like, this all feels, and she's like, too good to be true. She's like, you know, I can't fight with her, with, with Caitlin, not after yesterday, because, you know, she had her, she's like, I have her back now. And then she's like, you know, what if this was Iris and there was some dangerous cure for her time sickness? You know, even if it fails, they owe it to her to at least try. So then. Chester, he's doing some beatboxing. Yo, it's me, your boy Chester P, ready to rock your world with knowledge 100% for free, free, free. <laughs> Who watches this stuff? Oh my god, Chester P, Chester, no. Oh man, so he's doing a live stream, you know, he's working on the Spicer thing. Alleg- Allegra comes in. And, you know, she's like, you know, you should sell some some shirts to say, like, what up, party people, Whoa, like all the way around or something like that. And then then she looks what he's doing. she's like, you're not sharing the specs for that online, are you? And he's like, yeah, live broadcast. And then she like tries, like kind of, she turns her back, whatever, to the camera. And she's like, but, you know, someone could try building that on their own. He's like, that's the point. And you know, he starts talking about viewers building stuff based off his his streams. Someone built drones and are now using them to deliver supplies in impoverished in country. He's like, that's what the whole Chesterpeak community is about. It's like, oh my gosh, you are such a friggin' idiot. So she I think she like mute the mic and then she's like, Yeah, but putting this out there is not the same as building a drone. And he's like, Uh, I, I think supervillains have better things to do than watch the broadcast. It's like, it doesn't matter, dude people tend to record these sometimes. And, you know, you can put, especially if you're going to be showing specs of something and someone wants wants to do it, of course they're going to probably record it, screenshot it, screen record it, do something. So she's like, yeah, but you still might want to check yourself, you know, depending on the science. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. And he's like, but that goes against the whole purpose of scientific discovery. What good is knowledge if you don't share it? and you know cuz he's it could help someone make new innovations make the world a better place he she says or they could try to use it to resurrect the dead and she's like you know maybe not all knowledge should be so readily available and he says because she thinks most people are bad and she's like no I know most people aren't you. So she mentioned that she watched Esperanza die in her arms. She's like, that shouldn't be part of some science experiment. So he finally listens. He cuts the feed. He doesn't even say goodbye to anything. He just turns it off, and then that's it. But it's like, dude, you're such an idiot. I don't think Barry would be okay with this. And it's like the Splicer, He, I don't think if, if it's the same Firestorm thing, he didn't invent that. You have no right to put those specs out there. It's not your... Mm-hmm. Cecile's walking through the halls and she's like getting this eerie feeling the lights are kind of flickering and where is she so she starts getting this big massive pain in her head and she's like screaming and the sparks are flying free me Barry comes up and she's like the fire talked to her and she's you know she's like it's not there wherever it was it connected with her mind So she's like, there's so much pain. She could sense Ronnie's anguish, like he was begging her to set him free. But she doesn't think that Ronnie wants to be brought back. She thinks that he wants to die and just like move on. So Caitlin, you know, they tell Caitlin later, she's like, that's impossible. You know, she says that he asked her to save him. And Barry's like, maybe that's why he came to Cecile to get the truth. And she says that, you know, he's not there for Cecile. He's there for her. Cecile says that he's in hell, and he came to them to end his suffering. Barry says Cecile's the only one that's able to connect with it. Caitlin's like, well, I connected. And she's like, I'm his wife. She's like, why can't you understand that? And and she's like, she tells Barry, she's like, you know him. He was part of the team. So why are you so against this? And he mentions, like, when he went back to try to save his mom, you know, to create a perfect past. But it was all a lie and it came crashing down because he didn't listen to anyone. He's like, we can't resurrect the past. It's too dangerous. And she's like, we're not creating a flashpoint or another timeline. We're just saving my husband. And she's bringing it, him back no matter what. And, she, you know, God knows they've fallen over for him in Iris on more than one occasion. So she's like, you know, if you won't help me, then I'll just do it without you. Flashback 2013, she's planning this getaway for their anniversary or whatever. Then in Co City, Iris wakes up. She's in her posh hotel room, and she's like, where's Tinya? And Sue's, I don't know how Sue transported her over when she's, like, so dangerous to touch or whatever. So Sue says that she figured it would be safer to keep her away. And if, if Iris is, you know, whatever, things going ballistic, then, you know, they need to keep her out of harm's way, whatever. So Sue says, you know, she knows uh, Deanne said that she should stay put, but she's getting worse by the hour, so maybe they should go back to Star Labs. And she goes to like put her hand kind of on Iris's knee. And she's like, no, she's like, it might happen to you too. Then Tinya happens to just barge in the room. She's like, oh, now you're worried about others. And Sue's like, we're taking her back home. And Tanya's like, too late. And then <laughs> Sue gets into like this kind of like big, like fighting stance. And she's like, you don't want to do this. And Tanya's like, yeah, I do. So she moves, or Sue moves you know, against Tinya. Tinya just like phases through her with her new powers, her meta powers. And then she goes, she grabs Iris by the shoulders and she's like glows red and Iris just disappears. And Sue's like, What did you do to her? And Tinya's like, Exactly what I'll do to you if you ever try to find me again. And she walks through the walls. So I guess Tinya just killed Iris or did something. Cecile tells Chester and Allegra that Ronnie doesn't want to be saved. Barry says that they're going to stop the fire and killings by using the cold fusion sphere to end Ronnie's pain once and for all. Allegra asks if they're sure that this is what Ronnie wants and Cecile nods her head. You know, she doesn't want to admit it, but that's what she's, you know, that's what she picked up. Frost asks, she's like, well, you know, why don't they try to splice her anyway? And, you know, Chester says that he'd have to be willing. Otherwise his atoms would become unstable and it could cause an endothermic explosion. So they just have to capture it in the sphere and then remove some oxidants or something or whatever. And then it's bye-bye flames for good. Barry says that this is what Ronnie, uh, the Ronnie they knew would want. So he's going to go tell Caitlin because she deserves to know. And Frost is like, no. She's like, I'll be the one to tell her. So then 2013 at like some snowy state park. Uh, Ronnie and uh, Caitlin, her car's like stuck in the snow and she's like upset. She's like, we're probably gonna miss a check-in. She's like, I had all these plans. I was going to propose you. And and he's like, what you're gonna propose. And he's, he, and you know, she's just worked up. He's like, I know you had all these plans and stuff. You know, you want to go to the same bed and breakfast we went to on our first anniversary, but you know, maybe we need to stop trying to recreate the past and focus on the future. So he's like, I want, forever to start right now so she's like okay so she gets on her knee to propose but then he's like wait and he gets on his knee pulls out a ring from his pocket he's like i told you i had big plans too smooch so they were both planning to propose to each other so that's sweet but it's also sad because he died so frost talks to caitlin she says that barry wants to use a sphere to end ronnie and they're all on board and caitlin's surprised that frost agreed Frost is like, I'm worried about you, Katie. And she's like, you know, when Ronnie died, you know, we, we still shared a subconscious. So I felt your grief and I felt you pull away from everyone. She's like, I also remembered how happy you were before he died. So she pulls out the splicer. She's like, Barry's a leader, but, you know, your blood. So we just have to find him. We'll search the whole city, rain you know, rain or snow. And Caitlin's like, wait, what? Snow? memories of snow i should have known she's like i know where he's at so then we see these dorky campers telling ghost stories around the fire and you know ha. this lady scares this dude you know whatever and sitting next to her then they hear something in the woods and then the black fire jumps out of their flames they just stand up and they're just standing there staring at the at the fire it's like, wouldn't you, like, run away or do something? I guess not. Star lab, the alarm goes off at the State Park about the the, the energy for cold fusion from the fire. Barry grabs the sphere. He gives it to Cecile. And then I still don't understand how this works. He puts his hand on Cecile and Allegra's shoulders, and then somehow he runs with them. He's not, like, carrying them. I don't understand how he's able to get them to move through the speed force. He's just dragging them. So the fire grows. Uh, the, the stupid campers are still just standing there. Flash arrives and tells them to go to the park entrance, whatever. So it's like, wait, where's Cecile and Allegra? Barry says, sorry, he starts uh, pulling a fire into the sphere. And it's uh, it, it's it's working, but it's like heating up. So he's not sure how much longer he can hold it. Chester's like, there's more civilians coming really fast, which I don't understand how they got there so fast. <laughs> so it's it's contained, and then the sphere gets knocked out of his hand. He's like, what did you do? So Frost, you know, she blasted it. She's like, what, I, what we had to do. So the fire escapes out of the sphere, and Barry's like, you just destroyed our best chance at stopping this thing. And Caitlin's like, it's not a thing. It's my husband. So she starts walking towards it, and he's like, you're going to get yourself killed. And Frost stops him. So that's, that's her decision. It's like, wait, it's her decision to kill herself? And it's like, that's not okay. Caitlin thinks back some more. You know, she says that they promise to spend their lives together. So she's keeping that promise. The, the fire lowers itself. And then it starts, like, uh, kind of toning, pulling itself in. Kind of making, like, a humanoid form. Then she puts a spicer on its chest. The fire turns into Ronnie. At first, I was like, it's going to be a trick. It's not Ronnie. It's Ronnie. He, and he's in his clothes somehow. It's like, how is he in his clothes? And then he's like, Kate, you did it. You saved me. And then he kind of like faints. I mean, it's, it's probably you know, tiring and everything. At Star Labs, Ronnie's laying in a medical bed. Caitlin says, you know, tells the other that he's recovering from a massive energy surge, but he's stable. So they're happy for her. He's back. Chester's like, oh, there's more good news. He's like, I had the satellites running all night. So how, how did even, ha- how did they afford these satellites? Was it, did, did Star Labs always have these satellites? Like, who paid for them? When did they launch? I just don't understand this. Whatever so he's like there's been no biometric heat reading you know heat fire readings whatever and barry says that he he tells caitlin he's like i'm sorry i ever doubted you he's like i was wrong the whole time she's like it's all right it's like you're just trying to do what you thought was right and and this is the moment where they're just all standing around this is the second time so it's again how much does everyone get paid they're just just standing there and because like even like You know, I I like Allegra's character. She didn't really contribute much to this. You know, Chester, blah, blah, he's going to tweak this, do this. You know, but, you know, they're all just doing little things. And I don't know. I guess it takes a village, blah, whatever. So Allegra's like, oh, I can't wait to get to know him. And Caitlin's like, "I, I think you'll get along. She's like, Chester, too. And she's like, I probably shouldn't say anything since it was a long time ago. And he's like, what? No. And Barry's like, uh... Did what? Let me guess. He played D D in college. And Caitlin's like, yeah, one time or something like that. Cecile says she's sorry too. You know, her powers have never been so off before. So she wishes she knew why she got it so wrong. Or did she? So Barry's at home. He tries calling Iris, gets her voicemail again. Then there's a knock on the door, and it's Sue. Where's Iris? And she's like, I don't know. I just know, she, you know she's missing. And she tells him like what happened, but he's just like frozen, like just zoned out. So it's like, are you even listening? Caitlin walks into the med room and she says to Ronnie that he need to check his, but then he's gone. He's not there. He's not lying in bed. So the lights kind of go out behind her and she walks into the darkness, into the light. Lights are continuing to go out and she keeps going into the darkness. And you're Caitlin, like some like weird voice. So then she calls out to Ronnie and he's like in the kitchenette area. She's like, did you hear that voice? I did because that voice was mine. He's just standing, like staring out the window. And he says that he called to her to tell, tell her that he feels stronger than ever now. And he's like, thanks to this, you know, the Spicer, he says he, he knew she'd know what he wanted and bill exactly what he needed. So she's like, something's wrong. She's like, we need to get you back to the med lab. And he's like, I'm not going anywhere. And she's like, Ronnie, you're scaring me. He turns around um, like slowly, and his eyes are completely black. He's like, that's because I'm not Ronnie. Then she whispers, where's my husband? He's dead. Your friends were right. Ronnie Raymond sacrificed himself to the storm and the singularity. He gave his life and his power to ensure the safety of the world. In that uncontrollable, irreversible chaos, his death gave me life. Now I'm something greater, something beyond death. And then he hits the Spicer and it flames up. I am Death Storm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, I had a feeling it wasn't going to be Ronnie. I don't know if Robbie Amel like how many episodes he's doing, but, oh, man. So poor Caitlin. That stinks for Caitlin. And she broke up with Marcus. So now Marcus is going to be like, well, screw you, man. <laughs> Oh, boy. So that was the episode. And then no one, I guess, well, I was—I guess Ronnie Raymond didn't level up, but uh, Dust Storm did. So there you go. All right. Let's talk about Severance Season 1, Episode 9, The We We Are. Oh, my goodness. This episode. Oh, I cannot, cannot explain. Man. So as I'm watching this, I ended up watching this. It was, it was like... It was after one a.m. at night when I was finally able to watch it. Everyone in house is sleeping, so I'm like, okay, I gotta watch this. I can't wait any longer. So I talked about it on the last podcast, and I was just so so eager, just like I was just like so anxious. So I, as I started, and it's like I didn't even want to like fast forward through through to like the the recap, or even like when the intro. Because sometimes with the intro, I, I really dig the intro, but I would fast forward it just to you know get get to the show and everything like that. But with this week, it's like I it was kind of on two fronts, I was kind of like putting off the ending. One is because once it's over, it's like, how long do we have to wait until the second season? Hopefully it's just like a year at the most. But the other thing is like, I I was a little anxious and I can't remember the last time I felt like this about a show. I was just like not necessarily nervous, but it's just like, oh man, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And I was just kind of like, oh, this isn't going to be good. Cause you know, something's going to explode that it's that something's going to go, go wrong. So I was just like, really like kind of like hesitant about what might happen. Oh, but then one part, okay, let's just get to it. Cause I'm, I'm going to go in, in detail and this is probably going to take a while. Uh, oh, one thing about uh, the the paintings from last week. I was thinking that the the painting that Irv was like the, the, the multiple paintings that Irv Irving was was doing in his Audi. I thought it was to the the break room, but and I, I it kind of came to me during the, the recap when they showed it when Ms, Ms Casey was taken to the testing floor. It looked like that floor because she was it was like a different elevator, and there was a red light above the door. So I don't know if the waiting room had a red light or not. I, I, I feel like it did, but I now I don't, I don't think so after that. I definitely, I want to like binge the the series again. I want to watch it all at once. I think I'm gonna have to wait till like summer or something when, when I don't have the day job going on. So I, I think, which I, oh, I, mean, I stupid to me, I mean like, remind me to bring something up at the end, which obviously you can't do that. So there's, um. Well, okay. What what I'll say now is so I because I probably will forget. I feel like something with the testing floor. Actually, no. I'm gonna save it for for the end. I'm gonna write myself a note so I don't forget. Okay, so the episode starts. Ace of Spades is playing. Dylan's like flipping the switches. He flips them, and then they all They all switch over, and then Mark's like, "What?" And Miss Cobell, Miss Selvig at at his sister, Devin's she's like, she's like, I said, are you all right? And without skipping a beat, cause he was kind of, you know, ready for this. He's like, yeah, I'm fine. So he's got to be wondering like, what the heck is Ms. Cobell doing on the outside with him? He doesn't, has absolutely no idea where he's at, but he, he's on the outside. Why the heck would Miss Cobell be there? She's it's, it's, okay. So she's like, maybe you should talk to your sister. It's an important decision. Cause he said that he was thinking about quitting, and remember she's like, "Do it, Mark. Get away from there." And he's like, "My sister," and she's like, "Yes." And then she asks him, she's like, "Are you sure you're okay?" And he's like, "Yeah, I just got a little woozy." And then he's like, "I, I got. I think I'm gonna stop by the bathroom." And Miss Cobell's like, "It's uh, that way," because he was going in in the wrong direction. Then we see Irv wake up. He's got like the paint thing in his hand, and an ace of spades is playing, and then he sees the painting that he's working on and like all the other similar ones that he's done like like behind him he kind of looks at his like pretty sparse apartment and you know there's just like stacks of paintings against the wall helly wakes up and she's at a fancy party and uh so someone asks her it's like how many of those have you had so that this lady which i didn't realize right away this this lady was natalie Cause she's like, cause at first I was like, who is this? this is her friend. And cause she's like, good. We need you nimble. We got to get you down there. You're on in 20. And then I was at this point, I'm like, oh wait, that's Natalie. I was like, what the heck is she doing out there? And so Natalie is, sorry if I'm yelling. <laughs> Natalie is uh, the the lady who would talk to the board on her, on her headpiece and be like the intermediary, whatever. When um, she's talking to Cobel, she was, she's the one that told Miss Cobel she was fired. And she's the one that, like, owed the board, hung up already. <laughs> so I was like, wait. So she's like, I was on with the board earlier. They're really grateful for this. And this other l- lady, Gabby, comes up. And I was like, who's this lady, Gabby? She says hello to Natalie. And then she's like, Gabby, this is Helena. Wait for it. Egan. Helena Egan. And this Gabby, this Gabby's the senator's wife. I didn't catch on right away. I'm like so slow when I'm watching. I'm just like, I don't know. But Gabby's like, oh, my, she's like, my gosh, Helen, it's good to finally meet you. And Helly's just like, likewise. And then they kind of ride this little elevator down, like a clear elevator. So it's like, where are they? Dylan, he's standing, holding like the switches in place. So he has to kind of reach across the two doorways so he barely is just reaching one's a, and they're not like directly a, a, like parallel, like one's a little higher, one's a little lower, but he's just has to have his arm stretched out. I'm doing it for you. If you can see, and I don't know how he could do this for so long. Cause man, his arm, good thing. He has the strength of two men. Cause like, I'm, so I'm still have my hands up and I, I can just like feel like the kind of blood rushing to my hands my one hand. is a little lower. So he's, he's holding, uh, the, the, the switches and then he's like, this better be working a-holes, and then he just looks at the, like the, the laser-cut cube of the, the picture of the four of them that, you know, that was his gift so Mark goes in the bathroom and he wonders like, where is he, uh, from outside Devin asks if he's okay, so he comes out, Devin's holding her baby and she's like, you know, Rebecca smells weird, it's just something about the way she or something like that, she's like, you might have to share a book with, with her since, you know, he forgot his, even though I did remind you So he's going to have to share a book with Rebecca. It's like, what kind of name is Rebecca? Then he's like, how's our baby? And she's like, she looks at him weird. Because he just assumed that's this must be my wife. And this must be my baby. But then she's like, our, uh, I assume you mean it takes a village? And then she's like, and she's good. She's hungry. Then he says that he wants to have a life change talk. But, you know, she needs to, to pump first. So she's like, it'll be really fast. He's like, okay. Irv turns off the music and he puts on like the paint thing. And he starts like looking around his apartment. Then in the other room, he sees a little doggy and a doggy looks up at him and he gets down and he gets, he's like, hi. He's like, he has a dog. He had no idea. He's a little dog, little cute cute dog. And then, you know, he, he, he looks at his collar and he's like radar. He's just like, you know, sees his name tag. Uh, So then this uh, dude and lady say hello to Mark. And he's like, "Uh, Hey guys, what's up? And the dude's like, I think his name was Patton. He's like, we were just discussing discussing whether it, or it would have been wiser for your sister to put off introducing the, your child until after tonight's event. And the lady's like, he doesn't have to weigh in on it. Mark's like, that's my sister with the baby? Because he thought it was his wife. And then she's like, exactly, it's his sister. And then he's like, excuse me. And he keeps keeps moving through the room. <laughs> And, and then he says to himself okay so my sister has a baby and she's like and cobel is here this other lady comes up to him and she's says that she's been asked to share her book with him so this is rebecca and she's she's a little off She's a little i i'm going to say she's a little, little weird because she's like i have small eyes so i have to read pretty pretty close and she's like and i got some sores on the back of my head that you might see or something like that and then he sees his sister again and so he's like he goes up to her. He's like, this is going to sound weird. He's like, we're close, you and I. And she's confused. And she's like, what's going on? He asks if, if they can talk privately. Unfortunately, Rickon yells out. He's like, we're nearing the hour. So if you'd all peacefully weft in the living room. Then she's like, let's talk at the first reflection break, okay? So Rickon is going to read from his book. They're all there for the reading. And it's about to start. Rickon. So Irv uh, sees that there's like some medals on a nightstand and on the wall. So it's like, are they his? Did he serve? But uh, what I saw on Reddit, someone had had pointed out. They're like, they said that apparently these medals are from different branches, uh, like different armed forces. So the idea is, are there more than one, or is it just like a, a goof on the? you know, production side or whatever. They're like, let's just get a bunch of Medal of Honors or whatever. Then, so at, at this point, this is when I realized that Gabby was a senator's wife who who just gave birth, who Devin saw, and then she didn't recognize her later because uh, she introduces Helly to her husband, Angela R- Arteta, or yeah, Arteta, I think that was his name. And Helly, you know, because they were talking about like having kids before and, and, and she's like, wow, three kids uh, and everything like that. And um, she's like, I couldn't have done it without a little help. Because she's obviously talking about severance. So she used severance, which is so bizarre. She used severance to have kids. So it's like, I don't want to go through labor. So I want to get severed in order to give birth. And what makes this completely horrible, it just kind of blows my mind. So her her innie has... All she knows is giving birth to... Th- I mean, how long uh, has she had the severance for all three kids? If so, <laughs> her her innie is just like, oh, I'm pregnant. I'm about to give birth. And then, ding. And then, oh, what? What the heck? I just gave birth. I'm giving birth again. Bing. And then, oh, here comes another one. What the heck is going on? <laughs> so her, her innie, I mean, who knows how long labor was? You know, it could have been hours. But... <laughs> essentially her any is, is all she knows is giving birth three times and maybe there's some other point i don't know but that's just just crazy but anyway so so gabby's like i mean the idea people would want to outlaw severance and hell he's just like mm-hmm, i i know <sighs> so so irv looks in the closet he's looking he finds his trunk at the bottom and he rolls it out senator tells heli it's like oh the photo display is very moving and he he's like i already knew how i'd be voting but you know i think seeing that and seeing you hearing what you have to say all this could really make a difference and heli's like "Mm." she's like i hope i hope so (laughs) she has like and she's like i have no idea what you're talking about (laughs) so the senator's like let's change some minds and then she says that i'm certainly gonna try so he's like thank you and then He's and he's like, please thank your father if you see him. And she looks over and she's like, I will. So, there, I mean, I don't know how she could be so cool and collected, but the the fact that did she catch? She didn't even like skip a beat. I mean, they're like, this is Helena Egan, and she wasn't like, holy shit. <laughs> Edit, <laughs> and she, <laughs> I just I actually cursed for real there, and I don't want to put that on a podcast. So. <laughs> She's like, "Holy crap. <laughs> Did you say Egan?" <laughs> so, anyways, oh my god, that's the first time I actually swore on a podcast. And you know, not, obviously I'm I edited it out. <laughs> and I know it's silly. I know it's just a word, but I don't want to check that explicit box. I, and I want to make sure that you, the listener, when you're listening to this, if you got a little one that sneaks in the room or you're in the car or whatever, it's OK. Hey, how you doing, kids? <laughs> hey, kids. <laughs> Anyways, back to the, the show. Uh, not that this is a kids friendly show. By me. I'd say it's PG-13, right? So you get the idea. So sometimes I elude the thing. I think that's OK. Go on with the show. So Mark wafts into the living room and Rebecca calls him over. She looks for his glasses and she asks him to hold his book. And then he sees he like turns like flips a book over. And he sees that it's it's the book by Rickon. And and he sees Rickon standing here. He's like, Oh my god. And Rickon says, he's like, before we start, there is one person I'd like to thank first and foremost. Family is both my bedrock and my inspiration. I dedicate the reading, there this reading to my firstborn daughter, Eleanor. So Mark now realizes that Rickon, this guy who's, he's loved this book, he's been sneak reading it at, at work. He realizes that Rickon is his brother-in-law. Rickon starts reading, then Cobell <laughs> sits behind Mark. She's like, can I look at your book too? She's like, I can crane. <laughs> so he's holding the book for Rebecca, and then Miss Cobell wants to look over his shoulder and, and read. But the weird thing is there were other books there, like stacked to the side. So it's like, why couldn't they use one? I mean, unless those are probably probably what it was, is, is Rick and, is so hoity-toity about certain things. He's probably like, these books cannot be blemished or touched or breathed on because it might interfere with the flow of the message that's pro- precluding off the page i don't know he probably is like okay these are for sale only you, you can't read them because then <laughs> so as as uh rick and reeds we um then we see like the senator and his wife say good luck to heli her And her kind of fake smile falls, like when, when she gets a moment alone. She's probably, you know, trying to take all this in. You know, we, we don't hear or anything because, you know, we don't go inside their head. But it's just, it's a, it's, it's a credit to the actors who are just, you know, you can feel what they're going through. You know that, that, and they're conveying that without saying or doing anything. So it's just crazy. And she sees like this big rotating, like display thing. And there's pictures of her. And it says, Helly a severed story so there's a picture of her sitting in a chair where she's about to get the procedure done you can see some pictures like in the office and you can see like some of the others in the background because there's like all these like other rotating things this is why Milchek has been taking pictures all the time and he must do it like frequently because otherwise the others would be like why are you taking so many pictures but he's constantly taking pictures and this must be why we see Dylan he's still holding the switches Irv um, sees that the the trunk is locked, so he like looks, fills his pocket. There's some keys in there. He finds the keys, finds the right one, looks inside. There's a like a U.S. Navy uniform. There's this old picture of a sailor. He picks it up, and on, on the back it just says "Dad." So it's his dad stuff, obviously. And then he lifts up, like this top shelf of the trunk, and he like looks what's underneath. But then it cuts. We see Rick and still reading. End of chapter one. Seven minute reflection break. So Mark goes to Rickon because he he goes off in the other room alone. And Rickon's like, oh, I'm kicking myself. He's like, I don't know why my voice has to waver like that. I sound like a hamburger waiter. And he's like, hamburger waiter? He's like, what am I talking i like, just babbling. Like, what are these words co- that are coming out? But Mark says, you know, it's, it's going great. He's like, the book is amazing. And Rickon's like, you don't have to say that. He's like, I'm well aware how I come across to you. And Mark's like, no, I mean it. He's like, your book has opened up a world for me. And Rickon looks at him. He's like, are you okay? He's like, yes, this book changed my whole life. And Rick is like, you actually read it? And Mark asks Rick, Rickon, he's like, are we friends? Rickon's like, I know I sometimes make you feel less than, you know, for having had the procedure and I regret that. You had to deal with Gemma's passing in a way that was best for you. So he says that, you know, he was scrolling through old pictures this morning and he found one of the four of them on the crest hike. And, you know, Mark's like, do you have that that, on, that that picture on you? And he's like, yeah. So he's about to show him on his phone. But then this dude comes up to Rick and he's like, the neti pot is warm. And Rick is like, oh, I have to flush my sinuses. He's like, thanks, Mark. Which means a lot to me so Mark didn't get to see it so it's like oh he's so close to seeing the picture that Gemma his wife is Miss Casey because he still doesn't know and at any moment Dylan might slip in the or get discovered and they, they become uns- they're, they're still severed they'll, they'll revert back Oh, so Mark goes to look uh, for the baby's room and then oh my gosh here it comes friggin Miss Cobell stops him mark i was worried about you he's like i'm fine thanks he's like i'm just gonna check on my sister and she's like when we hugged before you suddenly became tense what was that i'm like oh my god just shut up lady let him go and he's like oh i was like i i didn't know i did she's like yes you did and you're tense now and he's like i'm sorry it's just parties and she asks, did you mean what you said before about your plans? And he's like, of course. Tell me more. Oh. <laughs> and he's like, "He's like, sorry. Oh, here it comes. He's like, sorry. He's like, I'm on uncle duty for my sister. He's like, I'll be right back, OK? And she's like, OK, Mark. And he's like, thanks, Miss Cobell. I pause it. And I'm like, Ugh. But silently, because again, it's like, it's probably like what? One, one fifteen one thirty or something like that. Everyone's sleeping. I'm just, I'm like, cause as he's saying, I was like, okay, just go, just go. Don't say her name. Don't, part of me is, I was like, he's going to say something. I was like, no, you don't have to say it. Just, just leave. He says her name. Oh, I was like, oh, I sat there. I paused it. I'm just like, I can't believe he just said her name there's no way to explain it. There's no way he could know her by Miss Cobell. He is, he knows her as Mrs. Selvig, his neighbor who works at like a deli shop or something, a sandwich shopper. Oh man. I was like, I can't believe that he, he did that. <laughs> and I saw this hilarious, awesomely edited meme about this. And it was like, perfect. <laughs> I was like with Joaquin Phoenix, like watching. Oh my gosh. I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I can't believe he said her name and now she knows. <sighs> okay. <laughs> but I, I, I literally, I covered my, my whole face with both hands and I was just, I just silently screaming. I don't know why I was doing that. What was the point of that, Tony? Oh, okay. Back to the, <laughs> back to the show. <laughs> so, um, Cobel just stands there like expressionless after he says that. Cause she's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> he just, Hallie looks around. There's more pictures of her with the others in the office. And, you know, she looks at a picture of Mark cause you know, she's starting to get feelings for him, but it's like, what the heck is going on? Mark finds his sister and he's like, he's like, I really need to talk to you. And she's like, I just have to deal with Eleanor. She's having a meltdown. And she's like, I'll be right there. She sees Mrs. Selvig, Ms. Cobell out in the hall. Cause I don't know if she's like kind of following him. And she's like, can you take Eleanor? She's like, I just have to talk to Mark real quick. And she's like, of course. So it's like, wait, but Miss Cobell knows. It's like, so Devin returns to baby's room and she tells Mark, she's like, I'm all yours. So Heli wanders through the display and there's like video like interview with her. Like she's talking about growing up in in Egan, and that means that the workers are their family. And she's like, I remember being confused about that as a kid, because I thought that meant I had a few hundred thousand literal brothers and sisters scattered around the world. And she's like, as I grew older, I, I learned that it's about shared ideals that, you know, my dad used to make me recite the nine core principles before bed every night, which I can't say, I always did it happily, sorry, dad. But those are now the values that I share with everyone who works at Lumen. And that's what makes them my family. And I would never ask them to do anything that I'm not willing or excited to do myself. And then she's like, oh, look, my dad would love for me to s- sit here and say that I'm taking this job out of loyalty and that it was in a spirit of pure Egan calling me to service. But I took a severed job because it sounds freaking awesome. So, no, I don't think severance divides us. I think it brings us together. Cobell is driving frantically. She's in her car. She's trying to call Milchik on the phone. She keeps getting his his answer machine. And she's just like cursing him. She's just like she's flipping out. Er finds a bunch of papers in a the trunk. There's this article, and I think it has like the senator's picture. And there's a headline: Severed worker sues for information following injury. And then there's a a, a quote that's like in the article that says, Lumen needs to be held accountable. And he sees another sheet, and there's like a bunch of names and stuff, and like other information, as and like written on there. It's like severed employee list. He sees his names on there because you know he goes through there. So Irving, whatever, is there, and then he's like looks around, and he finds Bert Goodman, his, his name's there, and there's a, another name lower than that that he didn't quite catch because he just looked at Bert Goodman. But there is Dylan Griffin, age fifty eight, next to it. And then it written, or typed next to it, written next to that, it says, who else is 58? So is there something with like 58-year-olds? Why, what, what has, does that have to do? Why is Lumen, you know, is there a specific thing? And then he also, um, I think there's a, there a Rebecca in there. It's like, could Rebecca be Lumen? That's probably just a coincidence. That's too much. But it was like all these people, some, some people had like like addresses, some people had like their age, and others, it was just their names. So, um, and he, next, also in there, there's, a uh, the cure regional roadmap. And so it's like this whole, is this whole town, like all these people, is it the town called cure town or something? <laughs> I don't know. So, uh, and then he opens a map and it looks the people's names are like written on, on the map, like where they're at. So he looks at the, the, his address, he, he, there's like a letter or something on a, on a table. So he sees like where he would be. And then he looks at where Bert would live on the map and, you know, try to see like how far it would be from there. Obviously it can't be too far if they both work there. So it probably would be drivable. Heli steps into the bathroom and she's like sits in front of mirrors, like breathing heavily. And then this assistant finder and she's like, oh, she's in here. This old dude walks in. Helena, no, you look nice. Like a film and she whispers she's like thank you and he's like are you are you still in pain so i think he was referring to her neck to when when helly tried hanging herself and she's like no, no not anymore he's like i cried in my bed when they told me what she tried to do to you which is kind of weird there but i guess probably no one knew what happened. i just wonder how to how to so here's here's the other thing so Natalie's like you know she held the pictures of, of Helly hanging in the elevator. So one which I never brought up, who who got those pictures? Was it Milchek? Is Milchek trying to? Did he try to get Miss Cobell fired because he wanted a job? Is he trying to get her fired because he's you no know, he's not in on it. He's he's not on on the good side or whatever. I, I don't. It wasn't Grainer. So I don't know how she got those pictures. But did they hide the whole thing? It's like how would they explain that her Audi didn't leave work? So that's probably why he didn't like visit her, because maybe he didn't know. He found out after, and then they they fired Miss Cobell. So he says that you know he because he cried in his bed when he found out. He's like, what that enemy tried to do, I. And he's like, thank you for going through with this. And he's like, the grandfather would cherish what you've done. The grandfather, this is I think this is her father. He's old, so he's probably talking about his her grandfather, his father. And then this part I have no idea what he meant by this. He's like, "And one day you will sit with me at my revolving." Revolving like a like like a record, like you spin me right round baby right round like a record player. <laughs> what the heck does he mean at, at my revolving? What does <sighs> I don't don't know what, what that means. Then he's like, "Are you feeling well?" And she calmly says, "Yes." She's like she's like, "I think the drink hit, just hit me a little bit." And he's like, you'll be all right for the speech. And she's like, yeah, of course. And he asks if she remembers when he brought home the first chip to show her, the prototype. And he's like, it had blue and green, uh, had the blue and green light back then. Which is interesting because she wears a lot of blue and green. If you think back, did she ever, did she wear yellow one time or is it always blue and green? I, I vividly this is why I need to go back and watch this show. But I, I seem to recall her like always wearing like blue or green or something like that. I I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. He sa- he remembers that she's like, It's so pretty, Daddy. Everybody in the whole world should get one. And then he, he says they will because of her. They'll all be Kier's children. And Natalie comes in and she says it's time to head to the stage. He heads out Uh, Helly gets a moment alone. She stands in front of a mirror and she starts whispering, forgive me for the harm I've caused this world. None may atone for my actions, but me and only in me shall their stain live on. All I can be is sorry and all. And that is all that I am. So I guess that's the man thing, but why would Helly know it? I don't know. So Irv looks at his keys, puts on his coat, He's got, you know, pretty pretty slick leather jacket. Grabs a map, goes outside, and he's, he's like, "Which car is his?" So you know, he looks at the keys again, and he's able to figure out like the the make and model, whatever. So he finds his car, and it's like, "Okay, c- can he drive?" Now, this is a I guess apparently some people were, were kind of questioning this, but even though they've been severed, they still know things. Like they still know how to talk, and what's interesting when you think about the five questions that Helly was asked at the beginning. Cause they're, they're like, can you name a state? You know, cause she couldn't answer the other stuff, but she, she said Delaware for the state. But what's interesting is the other things seem like they were kind of like random. And then there was like one personal question, but they also asked what was, uh, I think they said, what was Mr. Egan's bre- favorite breakfast or something like that. But she should know because if it's her father or grandfather, maybe, Anyways, um, so he, he backs up kind of unsteady and say so he knows how to drive, but maybe he just doesn't know how this car, you know, some cars are touchy or whatever. So it's just like, zing, zing, he's a little, little Rocky, whatever. Then Devin uh, says to Mark. She, so he told her, so we, we didn't hear what he said, but then she's like, you swear you're not flipping with me. And he's like, I swear. And she's like, it's so insane. And Mark's like, You know, they need to send people down and check every inch of that place, like inspectors or whatever. And he's like, is that a a thing? And she's like, inspector? She's like, yeah, there's inspectors. So (laughs) it's kind of funny because he doesn't know what's real or not because, you know, he has this knowledge of certain things, but he doesn't know if whatever. (laughs) So she's like, she says, Mark has or you out here have been trying to figure out what Lumen does and, you know, what, what you do. And Mark's like, I just, I just want to know why. Why he put me in there. Devin sighs. And she's like, he lost his wife. You you lost your wife. A little before you started at Lumen. And he's like, Gemma, because you know, he, that's what Rickon said. And so so Devin's like, there was a car accident. And at first he tried to keep teaching. And he's like, I was a teacher. And she's like, Yeah, a professor of history. You tried to go back to teaching three weeks after she died. And it was a disaster. She was just still in your veins, you know, making everything hurt. Which is why I guess you thought the cyber job would he hoped you'd be spared from the pain. And then he's like, Gemma's a nice name. And she's like, We were all really close. It was great. She was wonderful. She made you wonderful. One thing that you have to say, and what the one thing that is is amazing about this show is they they cut out the BS you you like in a normal show normal like you when this would come up the sister would be like yeah whatever you're crazy you're just pulling my leg or something you know she does ask that but then she's so accepting of it she's like okay I believe you like not even doubting she's just like okay what this is what happened this you know you 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 were a teacher you had a wife. you know so that's just really great about devin because at first when when they're first showing her and Rick I'm like, whatever it's like oh he has a sister on the outside you know i I just want to know what's going on in in lumen what's going on and the severed floor but she's really a great character that that she was just so accepting and just there for him to to have his back and it's like very touching i mean it's it's just awesome that that she's just there to, to take it all in without just like you're okay i'm gonna call you some help so irv continues driving and at one point he kind of like stops where he's like kind of looking around. And then Cobell's car like screeches around a turn. You pass this and She's like calling, trying to call Milchek again. He has this like weird phone. It's almost like, it wasn't quite like a sat phone, but he has something and it has her name under. So he's like, and he, he picks it up. He's like, they told me not to talk to you. And she's like, the gosh darn OTC has been triggered. Mark S is in it. He's flipping any. And Milchick's like, what? He's like, that's not possible. And then she's like, it's Dylan. They've been plotting this all along. But it's like, how would she know if it's Dylan or not? I mean, it could be Irving. It could be Helly. You know, she doesn't know what's, what's going on. And Milchick's like, Helly's at the gala. And Cobell's like, I'll take care of Helly. I'll fix it like I fix everything. Get to the security office and shut it off now. One, Milchek is still at the office. He's still working. Probably because Dylan G is having his weird post Uh, waffle party, goat mask, what the heck, who knows what's going on there and I don't want to know what's going on there. So maybe he's, I don't know if he's waiting or maybe does he know Dylan's not there? Anyways, he's, he's still there. He starts sprinting through the halls. And oh man, it's such a crazy, amazing scene. Just the way the camera, because at first it starts out, you see him running, and the camera's like right in front of him, just like kind of like, you know, pulling back as he's running towards it. And then there's the other part where you're like kind of going down the hall like you know kind of first person so you're like you're looking at this but then choo, here he comes around the, the turn and then the, the camera kind of angles a little bit and then he turns on uh, it was just such a cool scene uh, he's running and running he finally gets to the security office and, and you know he he sticks uh, his his you know his key in the key card but the door doesn't open her all the way because dylan put his belt around around the the handle so it, it won't open and he's like gosh darn it dylan he's like i know you're in there dylan Open the door. And, D- <laughs> and Dylan's like, flip you, Mr. Milchick. <laughs> so then Devin tells uh, Mark, Rick knows a-, a lot of high-end journalists in New York. And Mark's like, uh, do you think that's better than the police? And she's like, well, Lumen has her hands in many pies. And she's like, do you understand metaphors? He's like, he's like, yeah, hands and pies. I- yeah, I get it. <laughs> it's just this is funny. Uh, Devin says that you know she thinks that they have to be really careful about who they talk to, and she's like, "How much time do you have?" And he's like, uh, "I don't know, maybe an hour." Which poor Dylan holding his arms like that for an hour. So she's like, "Okay," she's like, "Right." Once your bosses find out, and Mark's like, "Jesus," he's like, "I totally forgot Cobell. Why is Cobell here?" And she's like, "What?" He's like, my boss from Lumen, Miss Cobell, she's at the party. And she's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, she's she's dressed different, kind of like you know, flowy, purple outfit, silver hair. And she's like, Mark, are you talking about Mrs. Selvig? And he's like, maybe, but her name is Harmony Cobell. And she works at Lumen? He's like, yeah, she's my boss. Jesus flipping Christ. <laughs> and she rushes out of the room because she gave her her kid to, to Cobell. So Hallie's following Natalie, Irv's driving, Milchek pulls out a knife from his pocket, starts like cutting at the belt. <laughs> it's like super, in, super strength belt. <laughs> he's like sawing at it. He has Dylan. He's like, why are you doing this? He's like, you're the refiner of the quarter. Devin goes in the living room and she like, and Rick started, Rick and started reading. And she's like, Mrs. Selvig, is Mrs. Selvig here? She's calling out. And she's like, she has Eleanor. So she goes outside. She's like, Oh my God, her car's gone. She's freaking out because she gave her the baby. Now she's gone. Irv reaches Britt G's place. He pulls up in front of a house and he's just like looking at it. It's like a kind of like a one story house, I think, a you know, big window, whatever. Milch says, He's like, I bet the tempers were disappointed. I can still get you back in there. I can get you any perk you want, Dylan. He's like, Hey, there's stuff you don't even know about. There's. There's paintball. There's coffee cozies. He's like, "Come on, just say the word. I'll get you a coffee cozy, literally right now." He's like, "Come on, Dylan." And Dylan screams, "I want to remember my flipping kid being born." And Milchick's like, "You have two others." He's like, "I could tell you about them. Open the door, and I'll tell you their names." Cobel races the Lumen. That because that's where the gala is is happening. Because remember, there's like the the banner being like unspread, you know, in front of it, it's like welcome, whatever. She gets out of a car, and she just leaves it running. And there's, like, some valet parking, I guess. Because the car's like, starts rolling, and they're, like, chasing after it. So, Helly walks to, like, the backstage. So, two minutes. Natalie tells her just to stick to the talking points. And she's like, use a line about how you see your innie as your sister. It's like, they'll love that. And she's like, got it. <laughs> Irv stares at the house, and then he sees Bert in the window. But he's talking to someone. There's another dude in there. So, Irving, I I don't know why, and I I realized the last the podcast I was like, what if Irving was not you know gay on the outside, and not that there's uh, anything wrong with that, but I would it just seems like like a typical TV or fiction whatever plot point where you're like oh here's someone who's gay surprise or there's someone who's not gay surprise you really are gay and you didn't know it because you're in denial. Which, you know, that, that could create a little whatever. It, maybe it's unnecessarily, like, tension to use something like that as, as a plot device is, is unnecessary. So, thankfully, they didn't do that. So, it appears that Bert does have, like, a partner out there. Because there's this, this other dude with him. And he, like, kind of puts something over his shoulders, like a blanket or, or something like that. And then it looks like Bert's taking, like, he takes, like, a selfie And I don't know if they're like packing somewhere. So maybe it's because Bert retired. So anyways, the the good news, which I didn't even think about this until just now, we know Bert retired from Lumen, but it's like, what does that mean? Are they going to, I guess they wouldn't necessarily kill him or anything like that, but we know he, he's not being held somewhere, being tortured. He's out there. He's home. looks like he's going on a vacation, whatever he's with his partner. They appear to be happy. But unfortunately, Irv is not happy. He's kind of like let down because he's like, oh, he's with but again, Irv, what are you thinking? Okay, yes, you've developed feelings for this guy in a very short time. I and mean, you know, Christopher Walken is is a, a charming fellow. Whatever. <laughs> but you're going to talk to him. Your sever or your are any, you're going to talk to his Audi. His Audi has no idea who you are. So you're going to try to talk. Hey, I'm your innie. We held hands. We almost kissed in inside. And he's going to be like, what are you talking about? So I guess love makes you do dumb things sometimes. I don't know. So at, at Devon's, they're like looking in all the rooms or something like that. And Mark's like, oh, did you check in here? So he opens the door there's a car seat on a fl- on the floor with the, with the Eleanor in there and then that that stupid dude who's talking about uh, uh Devin shouldn't have introduced the baby Patton whatever he pushes pa- past Mark I found her your baby's in here I'm the one who found her and he like takes her out of there it's like dude Mark found her you literally like just pushed him aside like <laughs> and then Mark He's, there's like a bunch of pictures on the shelf and you know there's like you know just like in frames like in front of other ones so is he gonna see is he gonna see the picture because there's no pictures in the front there's no pictures of, of him and, and Gemma but it's like what other there's clothes so there could be something in there and this is, it keeps flipping from scene to scene to scene you know other person Milchek still talking to Dylan through the crack door Natalie talks to the crowd before Heli comes out like saying all this stuff Cobel grabs Heli backstage she's like it is you. And, and she stammers. She's like, what are you talking about? And she's like, it is you, isn't it? And then Helly's like, I'm going to kill your company. And she's like your company. Who the hell do you think you are? No, your friends are going to suffer. Mark will suffer. You'll be long gone, but we will keep them alive in pain. And then the lady tells Hallie that she's on and kind of pulls her away from Cobell. Irv is still staring at the house. Mark picks up a picture from another frame picture. Helena Egan is introduced on stage. Mark gasps. He sees his wedding pic a wedding picture of him with Miss Casey. You know, her hair's dark, like longer, but they're, you know, they're together. He's in a text wedding. They're they're there. So he's like, he sees her now. Irv gets out of the car, walks up to the house. Milchek is still cutting. Mark yells for Devin. Heli says. My name is Helly R and I'm an innie. Milchek's almost threw the belt. Then Helly's like, everything they've told you about severance is a lie. Irv starts pounding on the, on the door, Bert. <laughs> and then uh, you're like, no, no, no. Listen, we're not happy. We're miserable. And, and then uh, Natalie's expressed, she's like, what is going on here? Irv keeps pounding on the door, calling Bert. Milchek. Cuts through the, the belt. The door opens. Helly's like, they torture us down there. Milchek runs at Dylan. <laughs> Mark calls out to Devin and reaches her. Helly's like pulled aside by someone. Dylan like grits his teeth. Mark's like, she's alive. And Milchek tackles Dylan and his switch switches flip back. Fade to black. Ping. Elevator ping. Oh, goodness. So now the, the thing, it ended with Mark saying she's alive. But unless he's holding the picture in his hand, he's going to have no idea. He never said Gemma's alive. So they're going to think, they're probably going to think, oh yeah, of course Eleanor is alive. She was in a car seat. She was in that room. So they're not going to know that he's talking about his wife. Because everyone, for some reason, everyone thinks she's dead. Now, some questions. What we saw last week there's a the menu uh, on the screen that had some some weird things on there, so like one thing said beehive branch transfer clean slate elephant what the heck is elephant freeze frame and glasgow so glasgow there I, I read something about glass gow. there's like some some something about glasgow some experience procedure something but elephant what beehive you know, does Beehive make everyone like one mind, like a hive mind? I hope not. But the the one here, anyways, what the important thing that we need to focus on right now is Clean Slate. What does that mean? Is it if you select that? Because this is on a screen where you, you I have a, like a screenshot on my phone that I'm staring at right now, where you see like Helly, R, Mark, and Irving, and then there's like this pop-up menu ab- above it. And it says C slash systems dot functions. So the third one is Clean Slate. So most likely what that means is can they erase like the Innie's memories? Can they just like start over? So even though Mark's been there for two years, you know, Dylan, Irv has been there maybe a little longer. They might have to start, start over. And maybe it's going to be like them waking up on a conference table having no idea what the heck is going on. And maybe, you know, extreme situations, that's just what you got to do so i i don't know but then the other thing the other question is what is this testing floor because cobell's was it cobell right because she said to send miss casey to the testing floor and what does that mean and why is irving why is irv painting that so has irving gone in the testing floor before on Reddit I saw I, I started reading some of this I was like avoiding reddit I was like I don't want any any spoilers but on Reddit you know I, I'm not taking credit for this some people were, were, someone said that they think the revolving has to do I don't I, I hope they don't go there this, this with this but the revolving is maybe some sort of like reincarnation thing what well, I guess it could almost work or maybe they stick your mind in a younger body type of thing because Irving has his dad's stuff why does he have that? So is Irving really his dad, or no? That wouldn't make sense. You know his Audi because we don't know anything about the Audis. And what does what did uh, Heli, Hel- Helena's father mean by "You'll be with me at the revolving"? So maybe there's something there. But obviously, Irv has gone through the testing floor at some point because for some reason he's obsessed with with painting this elevator door in this hallway. So like, what does that mean? And then the other thing is like, what does this mean for Ms. Casey? You know, she's only there part-time and she says she's only been there 108 hours. It doesn't feel like she was like necessarily a new employee. And if she's part-time, you know, maybe they just use her when someone gets sent to the break room. So she might not, you know, it, she maybe she doesn't go there like five days a week. You know, maybe it's just like, oh, we need you this one day for, you know, a thirty-minute session or something like that. So you have to think about it. One hundred and eight hours. because that's not a lot. And you know, she mentioned that eight hours she spent was like the longest that she's been there or something like that. So my fear, because if if it's been two years since she died, how come they don't know that she's dead? So the only thing I can think of is maybe she's like her, maybe her Audi. I don't know if this, maybe this is possible. I mean, who knows? Maybe her Audi is like in a coma or something. And this would be really sick and twisted, but maybe they, uh, they're they doing a test on this. They're like, hey, let's try to sever someone in a coma and see what happens. And then maybe when, you know, if she's like in a hospital bed, they take her down, ping, and then she gets up. Oh, I could. I'm a, like a. You You know. She can jump up out of the bed and, and move around. And could that be like? Uh, is there possible? So then, uh, when they don't need her, she's just in the outs. She's her Audi's just in a coma. And then they're like, oh, we, we need uh, her to, to come down. So then, otherwise, where would she be for for all this time? And how come she's hardly going in? Why wouldn't she? If they're so close and if she was so so good. I don't think she would like fake her death and just there's got to be something with it. And then maybe this is part of an experiment. So maybe that's why Miss Cobell's living next to Mark. Cause you know, at one point she asked like, does he ever see her or something like that? Does she, I don't know. But, and then the other thing it was like, what's with those, like those lumen cards that the one that, that Dylan took that just kicked off this whole thing that made uh Milchick put him in overtime thing. Because it almost looked like, I, I went back and I, I looked at that. It almost looked like it was kind of like a self-defense thing. Because there's like two guys and is it preparing? What the heck is Lumen doing? Oh, man. I, say I could sit here and keep talking. I've been talking like, what, almost almost 50 minutes now? And I could keep keep going. So, oh, my goodness, this show. So, I that's it. I got nothing else. I, I have no ideas, no other theories. Uh, now we just have to sit and wait and uh this show is just amazing so man thank you to everyone involved for for making the show Uh, i'm i'm going to miss it so much until it starts up again but thank goodness we're getting more okay then with star trek picard season two episode seven monsters I don't know how I felt about this episode. I mean, we I guess we get some some insight into Picard, into his past, into like who he is, why he is and but I don't know. I just something just was a little off with me. So it starts off with some dude he's like in a ship flying by sun talks about the, like the nature of life or whatever and Picard's there and he's like, "Shall we get back to it then?" So he's wearing a tux like he was in the in the the past, the present, whatever you want to call it. You know, the current what we're we're watching. And uh, the dude's like, "Sure, I'm just rarely in the sky." And but then he's like, "Where were we? You were humoring me, I think." He's like, "You have a, a fear of enclosed spaces." He's like, "The last thing you said to me, or that was the last thing you said to me." And Picard's like, he's, "He's like, well, I don't mean to do your job for you." And he's like, "Like, yeah, like naming your fear." isn't your job. And Picard's like, but analysis is, so shall we? So Picard says that the man who fears enclosed spaces spends his life in an infinite cosmos and and whatever. And he like chuckles. So at this point we finally see the face of the other dude. And at first I'm looking at it's like, am I supposed to know who this is? But I didn't didn't quite, quite get it. And uh, so the dude asks, uh, he's like, aren't we more than just our jobs? And he's like, you know, even Picard's friends call him pa- captain and Picard says, uh, he's like, this line of questioning is absurd. But the dude's like, this is just routine psych evaluation. He's like, no need to be uneasy. And Picard's like, you know, you're making me uneasy. He's like, if we're being truthful or whatever and dude's, you know, cause he's like, he's like, I'm here for 40 minutes and, do, and dude's like, we've only been here 20 minutes and you know, we're supposed to be here an hour He's like, so, you know, in, in order for me to sign off on this, why don't we just talk? He's like, you know any good jokes? And Picard just kind of laughs or whatever, you know, ch- chuckles whatever. Then he's like, why don't you tell me a story? And he's like, I beg your pardon? Dude's like, any kind of story. He's like, it could help to open up, you know, your mind. So Picard starts taking off his bow tie. The dude gets up. He grabs a little, like, light-up model of the sun, uh, like, on the table between them. And he, like, hands it to Picard. He's like, why don't you start with this? So then Picard's like, once upon a time, there was a queen with fiery red hair, and she was female. And the dude's like, telling stories isn't quite your thing. And Picard's like, no, but it was hers. And he's like, who? The queen with the red hair. So this lady's telling a story. Sorcerer... um, poised to reduce them to fractions of dust he stopped or whatever. His magic was gone. He's, he's stolen back in the very manner that he'd arrived in the first, like all this stuff. So this lady, there's this lady with like a sort of crown, which is a queen. She's talking to this kid with the crown and she's like painting on the, on the windows or a wall or something like that. And it's, it's based, it's supposed to be his mom and him, right? Because it's that like the, the Picard place in the, like that green room area that we keep seeing. So she's like beaten at his own game. You know, he melted and all was right. And in time, they would forget that he was there, but they would never forget the lesson. There's no better teacher than one's enemy. So, you know, she continues painting. Picard continues she was quite an unusual queen with how she chose to spend her days telling tales. Perhaps it was because she knew her time with him was borrowed. Because yeah, we've seen some like something happened to his mom, like she was taken away by someone. So then she lets the kid paint and she's, she's like, oh, you're like your father, you know, expressions come from your hands, not your mouth. And the kid's like, I don't want to be like him. And she's like, you know, it's not all bad. So this is, I was, okay, so this is clearly like Picard and his mom, right? So he says to her that he wants to be like her. And she's like, well, nevertheless, you know, you're a prince. So you have to learn how to lift people in times of grave danger to lead them with inspiring speech. And he's like, I don't think I can ever do that. And she's like, you do, because I know the future. So Picard says that you know, she was like an animal and could feel things in her bone before anyone else in the room. So he's like, perhaps she was magic. Or you know, that's what happens when you live in a world where monsters are real. Then there's like a soft growling coming from her painting on a window. There's like this paint beast, like the the trees and the drawing or whatever, the eyes start glowing. So she takes the kid's hands and she's like, I want you to understand how deeply I love you. No matter what your life brings, if I know you forever, or if I know you for moments in every breath, who you are is who I am so proud of you for becoming. So they run out of the sunroom and she closed the door and, and then like the windows burst in words. So they're running down the hall. They go down some stairs. There's a monster growling behind them. The dumb kid falls, dumb Picard or whatever. And she tells him to, to get up. And then uh, she gets dragged away by her feet and she screams, No! Picard's, he's seeing in, in like the doctor's clinic, just like lying on a bed dreaming. So he's uh, at Teresa's clinic in, in LA. So Seven tells Rio and Rafi that Girardi is still missing that they're going to have to use a ship sensor to try and track her combat. And, uh, you know, giving her alarming behavior, they, they should figure out what's going on. Rafi's like, yeah, like singing. And Rafi mentions and kissing. And Rafi's like, what now? <laughs> and he's like, you, you can ask her. So, of course, uh, Rios is going to stay in the clinic <laughs> with Picard and the doctor lady, of course. And Ta- Talon's going to stay there, too. So it's not just him staying with her. Rafi and Seven, they beam onto the ship. Rafi asks Girardi, he's like, is... Is she serious? Kissing Rios? That whole thing starts up again. She's like, I'm quitting the gang. And then Rafi says that, you know, she – because Seven's like, well, what about us? And Rafi's like, oh, we're, we're different. We're the main event. And she's like, you know, our future, you know – she says, like, their, their future, the two of them whatever is, like, old sitting on a park bench, you know, tripping teenagers on floaty things with their canes. And then Seven, at the she's sitting at the council. She she initiates a scan for Girardi's com badge. The system goes dead. It just, like, turns off. But then it turns back on, and she says she tried to access the ship's optical data network, whatever, and it kicked her out. And now she's locked out. By who? You know, Rafi's like, by who? She's like, not who, what? She's like, this encryption isn't human by design. It's Borg. Something happened to their ship. If they can't get access, then they're never gonna find Girardi. And Rafi mentions that the ship is also their only way home. So Talon, she's gonna enter Picard's mind doing her whatever hypno thing. And, you know, he's still talking to the dude. And he momentarily, like, senses something happened. And a dude's like, do you need a moment? And Picard's like, no, I'm fine. He says that, you know, he didn't realize Starfield, Starfleet <laughs> employed psychologists like him anymore. And a dude's like, you know, he just doesn't really say anything. He's like, you never finish your story. And Picard says that, you know, sometimes the story ends with a boy lost and alone in a dungeon. So he, the, the, the dude starts writing something. Then he's like, what are you writing? He's like, that you're hopelessly bleak? He's like, I'm recommending that you be relieved of your command position immediately unless you take the crew on a suicide mission just to feel something. So Picard like laughs at this. So dude says something like, you know, there's a thousand ways to die out there. And Picard's face gets serious. Then he tells Jean-Luc, he's like, dig deeper. And he starts to continue the story that the boy was alone, but then he cuts himself. He's like, no, he wasn't alone. Talon, in Picard's mind, hears a growling it's like distorted in the background and you can hear picard say i am locatus whatever of borg and there's like other picard like lines and stuff like that Um, You know, saying different things the roaring's getting louder then she finds a cell door she opens it and a prince boy's inside the kid gasps when when you know she says hello and talon says that you know she's trying to help someone and the kid uh seems to be on his mind on picard's mind so she asks the kid, why is he down there by himself? And he cries, because I can't leave. And she says, or she always said that if we ever got separated, stay put. And Talens says, since he's the only one down there and seems to be stuck, perhaps she should help unstick him. But he says he's not leaving without his mother. He's like a monster took her, monst- and then a monster roars, and a door slams shut. So the kid tells her to follow him through this different way. So this, the psychiatrist, whatever, dude, tells Picard his hour-long session is complete. He may terminate the session now. And he says that he can go back to whatever he's hiding uh, where or wherever he's hiding himself. He's been told things about him that he's stubborn. And Picard's like, you've been told things about me? So he starts to get outraged that he he inquired about him specifically. And he's like, I've had enough. He's like, what is this? And he's like, something else. And dude says, define something else. And he's like, something else is happening and this isn't real. So he asked Picard, he's like, he's like, why do you think we're there? And he's like, because I'm stuck. And a dude says that they are. Picard asks, he's like, who are you? And a dude's like, I'm a studier of the human condition. And he asks, why does he find it so difficult to be open? He holds everyone at arm's length. Perhaps there's a version of himself he's hiding or one that he's afraid to let others see. A, dark version, perhaps a secret shame, a guilt. He's like, what is it? What is it that you define yourself by? And then there's like a big, there's like a banging and he's like, what's this banging? So the dude says, he's like, I think we both know where that's coming from. And he says that he needs someone else to say it because then it allows him to push the truth away longer. So, you know, Picard doesn't want to admit it. He He's so full of virtue and, you know, the, the very story that he's telling is like one of good prevailing. He's like, stop, I never saw anything like that. And he's like, you don't know how it ends. So Talon and the prince boy go. The boy says that they need to get to the white door, but it moves. And then smoke starts flowing around her feet. The kid gets grabbed and another creature starts choking Talon from behind. He like he used like a, a garret or something like, you know, choking her neck. At the clinic, the doc and her son arrive and he has like a toy space shuttle and like a helmet and you know Reels makes some comment about it, whatever. And then she says that her babysitter flaked and he says, they borrowed some clothes from the lost and found, if that's all right. And she's like, oh, how's the patient? He's like, oh, he's fine. So she goes to see him, but the door is locked. And he's like, can we talk first? She t- goes to her kid. She tells him that she's gonna use some bad words and she closes his, his helmet visor. She starts talking to Rios in Spanish about how this is her clinic. You don't lock the gosh darn doors at her clinic. And and then he she asks for her keys. And the kid's like, you didn't even say the good swear words. So Rios gives her the keys and he says, just keep an open mind. So she goes in, Talon's sitting in a chair with like a head, headset thing on. Her eyes are totally white. Picard's lying on the bed, like twitching a bit. She's like, what is this? And Rios says, it's a procedure. She's like, why are you walking towards me like a serial killer? And he's like, I just need to explain something to you without breaking time. So the, the monster dude choking Talon grunts. He's like, This is not your journey. You're not supposed to be here. No one will miss you when you die. So she headbutts him and she gets free. And you know, it says to let the kid go. So the doc says, uh, Picard's not responding. You know, she tried doing something. So they have to get in the hospital. Real's like, No, 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 no. So he's like, We can't go. And she's like, You know, they are at life and death. And she says that you know, she's not equipped with this. He could die. So he calls Rafi. He, he's like, he, I need some kind of stabilizer for, you know, Picard's brain. And the doc's like, who are you talking to? And then, you know, cause he like, kind of turned his back on, on her, a device materializes in his hand, and, but she did see it like over his shoulder and she like gasps. And he tells her it's a neural oscillator. And, you know, Teresa, the doc, she's like freaking out. He asks, she asks, it's like, Is it going to kill him? And Rios says, he's like, I'm not a doctor, but I trust you. So she switches the thing on. It's like somehow she knows exactly how to turn it on. So Talon uh, talks to the the prince, the kid. He thinks he doesn't um, want to be in stuck. The kid asks, he's like, what if it's not different? And she's like, this time you're not alone. And so she's like was able to pull apart the shackle on his ankle and free him. Rios tells the doc Picard is stable, and she's like, are you from outer space? And he's like, no. He's like, I'm from Chile. He's like, I just, I work in outer space. So I'm from Chile too. Um, so Rios might be related to me. Talon says, and Talon and the kid find the right door. There's a bright light on the other side. They go through like holding hands. Seven manages to get back into the ship's system. So she uses cryptographic algorithm that she remembered from the collective. She thought Agnes purged all the Borg programs from the ship and when when they they crash and rafi's like when we landed seven looked at the last bit of of borg use on a ship and she pulls up this video girardi's standing at the council in her red dress and she's implanting board code so that's probably before they left the room um picard is in in his mind shifts back to picard's villa talan and the boy enter the banging is still going on and the, the kid says about the psychologist dude, because he's there, he's like, he's a monster. Then he's like, she's in there, she's in there. So Picard goes up to him, he's like, you've been guarding this the whole time? And then he's like, her? And he's like, you lived longer than I did. I got to keep you know my hair. So he's like, not exactly for a fair trade, is it, son? So the psychiatrist dude is Picard's dad. So Picard's like you are relentless father your cruelty you ruined her you broke her and a kid says that he's a monster he's like am i he's like perhaps but not in the way you think he mentions the tunnels and he says again that there's a thousand ways to die down there so flashback to Picard as a kid she tells him to get you know get his things grab a sketchbook or whatever they're just going to they're just playing a game they're going down below but he says that he's afraid to go into dark or, you know, he's afraid of the dark. She says that she can't breathe up there. And, you know, so she, you know, she won't be sad. Everything will be better now. Um, does he want to be with her? And then like, shh, so they start running below. Picard's foot goes through like a floorboard and gets stuck. So he calls out to his mom, but she, <laughs> she kept going. And then dad says it was hours before he found him again. If he hadn't dropped that pad, like a console, whatever, iPad, smart pad, tablet, he never would have known. And he says, he's like, your mother suffered cycles of terrible darkness and irrational exhilaration. She needed help, but she wouldn't accept it. Then later, she's locked in a room, and she's saying stuff like, you have to let me out, please. I love you. So Picard and and his dad are outside. The dad says, you know, no light labyrinth rain coming. He's like, he'd never have made it out, but she would have kept on trying. Talon says that there was no monster chasing his, his mother. So the dude's dad says, no, there was, there always was, but I couldn't save her her either. He's like, not from her own mind. Picard's like, perhaps I never really knew you. So he blamed his dad all this whole time, but you know, that maybe that wasn't the case. So the kid still stands outside the door. Talon says that, you know, he does so much with his pain. You know, he says, saves world. Uh, And the the mom's like, let me out John Luke. And she's like, you're the only one who can save me. And then he pulls out a key and Talon says to herself that there's more you know, to it than this. So Picard sits up, Talon comes in, they look at each other and, you know, try to figure out, like, I guess everything's okay now. Rio, said a doc's son are like drawing with chalk on a wall, which that just seemed weird. And, like in the office, in the clinic, he tells her, first of all, he's like, first of all, I'm human. And she said, you know, if you really have to convince someone of that, you know, then maybe there's, there's a reason that for some to wonder. So he says that, you know, she has good instincts and, you know, she does trust him. So, you know, she should rely on that. He says that, you know, he's, or she's like, you're really loyal to him, to Picard. And she's like, you respect him. And Rios is like, I never really knew my dad. You know, he wasn't around so much. Uh, he's like, so, you know, I tend to seek out father figures. So Picard feels more like a father to him than, you know, than what he's known. So he decides he wants to show her and the kid something cool and the three of them, I don't know why he's doing this. Beams them onto the ship, and uh, he's like, "This is my spaceship." And the kid's like, "Whoa! I'm gonna go touch everything!" And he runs off. It's like, "Yeah, you're gonna touch everything, and it might blow up the ship." That's totally makes sense. Seven and Rafi are looking for Girardi. Seven asks if she knows what this means. The board queen loose in Los Angeles. Rafi's like, "She's not the board queen." So they they manage to find her and on uh, some off some some camera footage. So last night she was outside of this bar, this lady was singing on stage. She goes in and then you know she goes up to the window and, and she like smashes out the glass. And you know, this dude's like, what are you doing? So Picard is up. He talks to Rafi. Uh T-Tallin tells him that Renee is fine. There's no sign of Q or anyone. And she's like, you saved her. And he's like he says that he thinks she just made a, a quantum leap past personal boundaries, you know, Holland, because you know she basically, you know, saw all the secrets or whatever in his mind. So she's like, you know, at least, you know, there are some, some quantum leaps on, on his side. Then she's like, okay, how about I give you this much? So she pulls her hair around her ears, and then he's like, Romulan. And he's like, he says it, he's like, I knew it. I, you know, she could be like an ancestor. So she mentions like some device that could change her look or something like that. But once she turns it off, won't, won't be able to come back for eight hours. So now she just has to hide her ears. But she's like, well, So was all this part of Q's plan, you know, for him to figure out this stuff, you know, know thyself? Picard's like, You know, he always thought of Q as unknowable, but here he is so late in his life, so, so fixated on him. So he needs this trial to happen. He's saying, You know, it's all about. Picard, but it's deeply personal and urgent to him. If they understand why that is, then they can go on the offense. Talon says it sounds like he wants to summon Q, but that goes you know, beyond her abilities. He's like, well, yours maybe, but there could be someone else. So he goes back to the 10 forward to Guinan's bar, and she's like, you can't really want me to summon a Q. And then she tells him, you know, a long time ago after his war, her people and the denizens at a Q Quantinium um, struck a truth. So she's like, the El Allorians have food and drink that unite them. So the truce was made over a bottle, like words and vibrations in it. And you know, so it's like in the bottle, within the bottle. So she's like, it's still part of, of the bottle or something like that. So they tend to hear the world like music. So if you dial the right note, and the right amount, you know of whatever memory or the right memory, that they could find a chord, pluck it back. So she opens a bottle, and, she, and you know there's like whispers. The room shakes, and then she pours a drink, she's like, you know, that'll get the attention of our friendly neighborhood cue. So she downs a drink, and then she like shrieks. You know, the glass breaks, lights flicker on, and then she's like it didn't work so she doesn't understand because you know, that that's i guess the way you do it or something like that rafi and seven are trying to figure out what happened uh, you know they're, they're they see they're looking at the footage they see girardi bust a window but sevens mentions endorphins that she's trying to speed up the process so the queen gets stronger less and less uh there's less and less girardi. So Rafi's like, you know, how long until she can start assimilating others? And so I was like, you know, no idea. You know, we're witnessing the birth of a new queen. If that happens, you know, just forget butterflies, you know, because this is going to like change things in, in, a, in a huge way. She'll, she'll, she'll want to start like an empire so she can assimilate every person on this planet. They brought the Borg to Earth before humanity can defend itself. So, they're supposed to save the future, but they might just have doomed it. So, they need to get Picard. So, Guinan, Guainan, I don't know I keep saying her name wrong. Guinan is like cleaning up, and Picard's like, What happened? And she's like, When you know, an El- Elorian summons a queue, a queue appears, but then the door opens, and they look, and it's not him, it's just some dude who wants a drink. And she's like, We're closed. And he's like, I'm celebrating. He's like, One drink. So she goes back to the card, you know, she she gets him a drink. She knows like what he would want or whatever, what he you know, he doesn't realize he wants. So but then he's like you know, he's like the tr- the truth is there is no reason that she's aware of. She's like in a history of time that you know, this should fall unless or fail unless something's really wrong. So then the dude that came in tries talking to them even though they're clearly like in a deep in a private conversation you know they're like at the other end of the bar and a dude he says something you know he's like oh i'm a sci-fi guy he's like you know you don't think we're all alone out here he's like he's like i like the unexplainable so and he's like i'm not talking about cattle disappearing or or aliens john hancock's and cornfields then he shows him an example so on his phone there's a video of picard materializing in the alley and he's like wait is this this is you he does this whole thing, Picard and and Guyton start laughing, and then the dude joins in. And he's, she's like, funny thing. She's like, I used to have a camera system down here. The darn thing glitched so much. You'd think that you know this bar was for the ghosts. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, all the time. Then he pulls out a badge. F- several federal agents pop in with guns out, yelling, "Hold it right there!" Picard tosses down a comm badge, you know, like behind a bar and like the broken glass, and he's like, "What is this?" And the dude's like, "Law enforcement. I'm gonna need you two to come with me." So I'm not really sure. Yeah, I don't understand why they're getting arrested and what. Yeah, but that's that's it. So that's not good for them. So they still have two things, you know. They they, they have to deal with this Picard stuff now. If they're getting arrested, you know, first Rios gets arrested and almost deported. And now Picard's getting arrested. And yeah, so we'll have to see what, what they're going to do about that. So, not only that, but you also have all the, the Borg Queen stuff. So, yeah, things are, are, are getting messy. But then with Moon Knight, episode three, so I guess, I mean, I keep seeing season one, episode three, uh, but I, I think, you know, Marvel or Disney is, is pretty much confirming that this is a limited series. So I, I guess the latest is for I don't, know, I don't know if it was like the Emmys or something like that when when you submit shows for different categories, they submitted Moon Knight and like Wandavision or Hawkeye I think it was Hawkeye Hawkeye and Moon Knight they submitted them under like the uh, limited series and not under seasons or whatever ongoing series. That stinks, but you know maybe they have other plans. We'll have to see. You know maybe we'll get a Moon Knight movie. I don't know. So uh, episode three, the Friendly type. And with this episode, you know, I, I hate to say it, I didn't love this episode as much as the first two, and there's just the one thing in particular, which I'll, when I when I'll just get to it because when I get there, I'll, I'll talk about it. So Leda, Layla is telling this lady friend Legaro about Steven. and you know she, she's getting like a fake passport made. The lady knows pretty Layla pretty well. And, you know, she mentions Layla's father, so she know him. He died. So it seems like, you know, Layla is definitely supposed to be Marlene from the comics to like a certain degree. So I don't understand why would they change Marlene to Layla? You know, is there so they don't have to worry about like creator credits? Like, oh, we're just going to make up this new character who happens to be kind of similar, but is has a different name. So they must be a different. I don't know. So we see several people walking in the desert. Harold's holding the scarab. Suddenly, the floating scarab points downwards, so they found Amit's tomb. Someone tells Harrow that Spectre's in Cairo and is tracking them. So we see Mark running across rooftops in Cairo's, and then he finds three dudes, and they they stab and kill this guy. And he's like, oh, I wanted to talk to him. So they start fighting him. Uh, it's mainly like the two guys that the younger, like the kids kind of like staying off the side. So they're like using knives. He disarms him. Uh, the last dude like holds his knife up to him. And then Steven's starting to get annoying. He starts talking, Mark, what are you doing? And then he like fades out. And then Mark wakes up. He comes back to you in the back of a cab and he's like, where are we going? And the driver's like, he tells, he's like, we're going to the airport. And he's like, you speak Arabic. Why were you act like a foreigner? Cause you know, Stephen doesn't speak Arabic, whatever. So then he happens, I don't know how long he was in this cab, but he happens to see two of the guys he was fighting, like walk out of the building. He tells the driver to stop. He gets out and the, the cab drivers ticked off because he didn't pay. So and then Mark starts chasing them. Eventually he gets a hold of one guy, he, like punches him like that. He wants to know where's Harrow, where's Harrow. And then Knowing Steve, there's a reflection nearby, and he's like, "Mark, that's enough." And then this distracts him, and a the younger dude hits him over the head from behind. So this wouldn't have happened if Steven would just sh- shut up. So the first guy, like he like hits him a few times, or whatever, um, this causes Mark to fall back. He hits the ground. He like kind of flickers, like out, out of consciousness. He wakes up in front of the same guy. And he just like stabbed him on top of a cliff. And uh, the third guy from the roof that you know we didn't just see now, he's lying on the ground and it looks like he was stabbed and killed. And then you he's like, Steven, what did you do? And in, in a knife reflection, Stephen's like, it wasn't me. And uh, the young kid's still alive and he has like a wound on his leg, but he can't stand up and he's trying to like like scoot away. So Mark throws the knife down and Kanchu's like, Take him to the ledge. And Mark's like, he's just a kid. And Kanchu's like, he'll talk. So he grabs him by the shirt and he holds him over to like the ledge. Like he's leaning back, holding him by the scarf around his neck. He's like, where's Harrow? And the kid's like, praise Amit. And he cuts the scarf, falls to his death. And Concha's like, hmm, I thought he'd talk. So Mark s- starts talking to Stephen. And Stephen says that Mark is the one going on the killing spree. And Mark's like, I didn't do any of this. He's like, you know, if we can't get information from Haro's crew, then they're going to have to find another way. Mark asks Khonshu, he's like, what about the other gods? He's like, you know, are they just going to stand around while somebody unleashes Amit? And Khonshu's like, to signal for an audience with the gods is to risk their wrath. And Mark's like, well, what's the worst that can happen? Anger them enough and they'll imprison me in stone. And he's like, let's see how you fare against Harrow without the protection of my healing armor. And then Khonshu disappears. He wants to send uh, the gods a signal that they can't ignore. So suddenly there's an eclipse and he mentions a portal where will present itself. So behind him, this like doorway opens up in the back of an alley country like the last time I spoke to the gods, they banished me like out, you know, whatever. He's like the case against Harrow must be indisputable. So Mark walks in, finds himself like in this big pyramid and there's this big temple. Others start walking in. This lady mentions, uh, Kanchu's reckless cries for attention, so she says to Mark that he must be a good avatar. So she says she's Yatzil, the avatar of uh, Hathor, or something like that, the goddess of music and love. So she walks him to the front and asks if Kanchu told him how this works. And he's like, not really. He asks if there's anything she he should know, and she's like, don't fight it, let it flow, and you'll get used to it. They start talking to, him to introduce all the gods and their human avatars are, are present. So it's like the gods can only talk through these random human people, I guess. One dude's like, You've been banished then you know, this god dude's like, You've been banished once before for nearly exposing us kanchu, but manipulate the sky again and we will entomb you in, in stone. So Mark's head goes back and Khonshu talks to him, spare me your self threats. <laughs> Return from the opulence of the over overvoid before you lose this realm. So the, the dude's like, for the last time Kanchu, the avatars that remain here are simply meant to, d- to observe. We decided long ago that we w- do not wish to meddle in the affairs of man. Another's like, we will decide our best course of action Kanchu calls for judgment against Arthur Harrow. Conspiracy to release Ahmet. And the dude's like, "That's a heavy accusation." So they're like, "Summon the accused." This other door opens, and Harrow walks through like immediately. So it's like, "Where is he at?" It's like just perfect timing. Just have like, "Oh, there's a door. I should probably go through." It's not like anyone grabbed him. And what if he's like in the middle? Like, I just I don't understand how he's able to get there so like suddenly. So then. He says, seeing Kanchu's makeshift avatar, which is Mark, the, the purpose of their meeting must be nefarious. And Kanchu's like, you know exactly why we are here. Haro says that he has to admit that he does miss the sound of that voice. And he's like, do you not wish to release Amit from her tomb? Harold says that he was in a desert, but if visiting the sands were a crime, the line of sinners would be longer than the Nile. So he says Kanchu has searched for Amit's tomb since he ensnared him to be his, in his service. So his vision is obscured by jealousy, paranoia, and he, he is a deceiver. And Harold's like, do not trust the, the word of a shamed God. And he's like, no, Kanchu is unhinged and his servant is unwell. This lady's like, how do you mean? He's like, Har- Harold's like, "This man, this is a man who literally does not know his own name. He has a marriage certificate under the name of Mark Spector, employment records under the name Stephen Grant. He's like, I've seen him speak to himself, and Kanchu's like, liar! Stop! Shut up! And Harold says that you know he has no idea how many personalities are trapped in there, and he's like, the man is clearly insane. Mark Khonshu moves to punch him, but he's stopped by the, the the god dude. He like you know uses some stuff to to stop, freeze him, like binds his hand behind his back. And he's like, we will not tolerate violence in this chamber. And Harold says, he's like, it gives me no pleasures to tell you uh, this is a deeply troubled man. Kanchu is taking advantage of him the same way he abused me. So he's like, the way that he aspires to abuse this court, he's like, take action now before it's too late. He's, so they want to speak to Mark Spector. So they like, are you unwell? And Mark's like... I am. He's like, I am unwell. He's like, I need help. But that doesn't change the fact that this man. And then, you know, they're like, he says that Harrow's dangerous. So the dude says that he's committed no offense. So it's like, these gods are incredibly stupid. They're like, this matter is, is conclude. They're saying that Harrow hasn't done anything, but it's like, okay, you just opened a door for him. Why don't you just like, "Hmm, what's out there? You're like, why are there a bunch of people out there digging? So it's possible maybe he's not there. Maybe now that he's found the tomb, he's like, okay, you guys just keep digging. I'll be back in a month or a couple of weeks and see you know how far you got. But it was just, I don't know. It just, it just felt like, because they're like, this matter is concluded. And then they just start to leave. So they're like, we're not even going to check into it. We're going to listen to this dude. This dude who's basically a civilian who happens to have a magic tattoo on his arm, but we're not going to listen to Kancho who is actually a god, just because he was banished before. So it's like, you're not going to listen to anything he has to say. So they start to leave. Um, Yatzel tells Mark, she's like, there is another way. And she like tells him off to the side. She's like, Amit was buried in secret, her location hidden even from the gods. But she had several fo- followers. And she's like, a medjay named Senfu could be helpful. He was tasked with recording the location of the tomb in case the gods ever changed their mind you know, and if they decide to show Amit mercy. So find Senfu's sarcophagus and then they'll be able to find Amit's tomb. But the sarcophagus was stolen and sold on the black market. So back in town, Mark's walking around. Um, he asks this random vendor about Senfu's sarcophagus and the, the dude just kind of like backs away. Then Layla magically finds Mark. So it's like, is this the smallest town ever? Does she just go walk down the street? and Like, oh, there you are. So so Mark's not not happy to see her because Kanchu wants her to be his next avatar. Um, Layla has a plan. So at night they go around this kind of not really fancy little boat. You know, there's like, you know, party lights on it or whatever. So they're going to see this guy named Mogart. And she says that, you know, she tells Mark, she's like, I'm not here to help you. I'm here to save the people that Harrow would end up killing. So he's like, okay, copy that. But... He says that you know he is sorry for what it's worth. Others on a boat start are celebrating, and you know there's some like music and stuff going. And Mark's like, I haven't heard that since our wedding. You know, she's like, you could have told me, you know, what it's been like for you about Stephen. And Mark's like, I had it under control until very recently. And she's like, you know, we could have handled it together. And he's like, you know, I've you know I've never really been able to talk about things. So they arrive at Mogart's. Mark notices there's this other boat following them. So is that Harald's men? There's like all these dudes with guns and, you know, there's like this arena with some dudes like on horses and like spears or whatever. It's like already jousting, like what's going on. So she sees this dude named Beck who's like Mogart's security dude. And he tells her that Mogart is looking forward to seeing her. So after He's like, after Madripur, I imagine that you have a lot to talk about. So they just casually make a Madripur, announce, or, you know, mention. So that, that's that's good. She introduces Mark as her husband, Rufino. I think she was like Rufino Estrada. So he tells him that, you know, it's a little bit more, or uh, Molgart says about the stuff that he has. It's more than just about collecting for him. It's about preserving history. It's a responsibility he takes very seriously. But obviously, you know, he's not putting this stuff on display for ev- everyone. You know, it's, it's still, for, you know, for, for him. Mogart seems to be a little suspicious of Mark. He does allow him to go look at the sarcophagus. And, you know, so Mark and Layla go up there and she's like, you know, you have to let Stephen out because, you know, they can't make heads or tails of this. And Mark's like, not a chance. And she looks and she's like, OK, the markings are legit and, you know, it's the right thing. Steven sees, or Mark sees Steven in a reflection like overhead because they're like in this kind of glass pyramid. And so there's like a reflection above there. So he asks Layla to give him a minute so he can talk to Steven. So he's like, finally, it's like, okay, we can't, I can't figure out what's going on here. Steven says that, you know, he doesn't want to talk. He just wants the body and for Mark to piss off. Layla is like trying to distract. She's telling and back that, that um, her husband, Rafino, needs a moment alone. She's like, he's praying. And you see, like, uh, Mark is like having like a heated exchange with with himself. So Stephen says that if he wants his help, it's not going to be while he's in prison. And Mark's like, he's like, "Do you want a bloodbath?" And he finally agrees to help. So there's like a couple like cloths or like like tapestry or like something like inside the sarcophagus. He's like, "Okay, take that one, fold it over, and and you know match it with the other, match the stars up on both of them, and then put them together, and it should make like a giant star." Unfortunately, um, Beck comes up to to know what he's doing. Mark reacts, and it was like just a weird reaction. I don't know if it's just like pure instinct or whatever. So he shoves Beck back and he takes his gun from the holster and he's like um, pointing it at him. Two other security guards pull their guns, like on Layla, and she's like, she tells Mark, she's like, don't. So Anton or Mogart, um, he asks Mark, he's like, you think I'm an idiot? He's like, get on your knees. And he tells Layla that. He was so ready to make peace with her. And she's like, "You know, we're just trying to save lives. Mark tells him, he's like, look inside the sarcophagus. So he's like, there's something really, really big. Before Morgart can look, he's told that a concerned third party has shown up. Somehow Harrow's there. So he, he got there like right behind Mark. It's like, how do you get there right away? And he's like, Whatever they've told you, I'm sure I can offer you something more tangible. And he holds out the scarab. Because I guess they don't need it anymore. Layla tells Anton to stop that you know he's going to kill millions. He tells her to shut up. <laughs> Harold says to Layla, he's like, you know, that she thinks the distance will prevent the wounds from her father's murder from reopening. But like something like stands in her way. He's like, Your husband doesn't tell you the truth. And Mark, you don't tell her because you know that if you do, she'll see you exactly as you see yourself, as unworthy of love. So then he talks to Anton and he he's like shows him his cane, and he says that you know the sarcophagus doesn't belong to anyone. Conchu tells Mark, someone the suit, give them what they deserve. Harold talks to Anton and starts like chanting in in Coptic. Purple smoke starts like swirling around the sarcophagus. The sarcophagus kind of like explodes a little bit, it gets a little busted. You know, it, it's still there. Harrow says that that's just a taste of the power he holds and he starts like walking away. Then Beck is like, hey, he's gone. So it's like Mark disappeared. So it's, it's like he pulled a Batman. Somehow, Moon Knight is on top of one of the pyramid structures. It's like, did he, did he climb up there? Did he jump? He starts attacking security guards with like his weapons, like throwing crescent darts and stuff at them. Layla picks up a gun and shoots some guys. So just like, okay, you work for, you know, I guess he's not really a bad guy, but I guess he is. And he's just, they're just stare to die anyways, right? So he's like throwing crescents, whatever. He jumps down. His cape makes a big giant moon that you see in one of the trailers. Layla picks up guns. She's like shooting some more people. Um, a swarm of guards start shooting at them. Moon Knight envelops Layla with his cape and the bullets don't penetrate there. So like the cape is bulletproof. Then he does this like spin. He's like, you know, ask if she's okay, whatever. He does a spin move and the bullets like fly back at the man and like take them out. So Layla goes to the sarcophagus to try to retrieve the pieces of the parchment stuff. Unfortunately, Beck is standing in a doorway when she goes to leave. So they get in a fight with Moon Knight. You know, he's Steven is trying to get Mark to stop and he's like fighting for control. And then Mr. Knight appears. So he's like, okay, time out, time out, everyone, whatever. And then he gets impaled by a guy and a horse. Then he gets impaled again. And then he gives control back to Mark just like that. So it's like Stephen gets control, gets stabbed twice, and he's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> and then Moon Knight gets stabbed a couple more times. Like his hand gets stabbed or whatever. But I guess magic suit means healing suit. So it's like good thing for, for that. Layla um Layla has some moves you know she's fighting this guy pretty well then Anton unfortunately knocks her down when she, when she like enters the arena cuz she's trying to go help help Moon Knight or Mark and then, um Mark sees this, Moon Knight sees this and it's annoying cuz then the the headpiece the head mask of Moon Knight he's like Layla so he takes out the dude surrounding him and he throws a crescent at Mogart as he as he goes by and it's like is he out is he dead so, but that's probably gonna be the last we'll see. Sadly, cause uh, the actor passed. So as they're driving out of town, Mark's like looking at the things, the pieces they have. Layla's like, what did Harold mean about me not knowing, you know, whatever? And he's like, oh, he's just trying to mess with you. So they, they get to the desert and um, he tries like piecing the, the scraps together. Mark's like getting frustrated and she's like, we need Steven. And Conchu's like, Steven won't return the body. So Mark, he's like, oh, he just grabs, he rips the side mirror off the truck and like the scraps and he, he like walks up a little bit, you know, ahead of the, the truck. And, you know, so he lets Steven out. So Steven's able to do whatever looks at the stuff. Um, he makes a star out of the, the scraps of stuff. And they, they notice that there's like pinpricks and it's like making a constellation. So she wants to scan it with her like tablet, but he's like, it's not that simple. And They're like, you know, Senfu marked a tomb 2,000 years ago, but the the stars drift over time, and it could throw them off by miles. So unless they knew what the stars looked like on that day, Kanchu's like, I remember the night. I remember every night. So Kanchu's like, I can turn back the sky, but it will come at a cost. So he tells Stephen, he's like, when the gods imprison me, tell Mark to free me. So Stephen, as Mr. Knight, moves with Kanchu. And then the, the sky basically starts spinning, and there's like light streaking and stuff like that. So we we see people looking at this, and the question is like, do everyone does everyone around the world, the galaxy, see this, or is it just in Cairo? But then it's like, does this affect Guardians of the Galaxy? It's like, what, what, is, what is exactly happening here? So Layla maps out, the, you know, with the tablet, she's able to get it, and then Harold's like, you brought this on yourself, Kanchu. When you know wherever he's at, he sees this. And the gods are holding hands and like chanting they're in the circle. There's this little statue of Kanchu in the center, like in this little pedestal. Layla gets the location she's you know the coordinates, whatever longitude, latitude and Stephen just like passes out. so harrow is back at the chamber for some reason. It's like can he is he allowed to just come and go? Salim says that he was right. Kanchu gave them no choice. And now he's bound to this place. So is like the, the head dude, I guess, or whatever. So then Harrow, um, somehow he gets alone time in there. It's like, why would you just, he's just a civilian. Why are you just letting him do whatever he wants? He goes up to the statue. So here's like, my my thing is like, if he smashes this, is that free, Kanchu, or is it, would that kill him? Because like, you're just letting this guy in here alone. But he says, he's like, can I tell you a secret? I enjoy dealing out pain and your are on your behalf. He's like, that is the greatest sin I carry. He's like, I am grateful. Had you not broken me so completely, I might never have known the value of healing. He's like, I'm going to do what you could not. And when it's finished, I want you to remember one thing, your torment forged me. I owe my victory to you. So it sounds like, uh, there's like this weird relationship and I don't know where this is coming from, like Harrow being uh, an avatar before, i don't know if we'll get any backstory on that and especially since this is just a mini series limited series you know we're not going to get it all fully fleshed out but it's interesting to think about that and how how did he escape and and so forth and whatever so we'll have to see the bummer is we're halfway through there's only three episodes left so i don't know but um but yes I am enjoying it you know the little things that the way the gods behaved over it that just annoyed me that they could just be so stupid about it but I guess that's how it is okay then uh just briefly I want to talk about The Bubble so The Bubble was released on April 1st it's a Netflix movie it was uh written and directed by Judd Apatow and it's co-written by Pam Brady and um it's a it's a weird movie. You know, they they release like a, a spoof trailer for like this uh what was it Beast. They they like release a spoof trailer for like Cliff B six and it's like wait what happened to all, all the other ones? Um, so I didn't really know what this is about. Then they're like, oh no, it's it's about it's called a bubble. It's about making this this movie or something like that. So really, what it is, it's 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 kind of an interesting, It's a, a comedy. But it's about trying to make a movie during COVID, like during like the earlier stages when, you know, there is more precautions and stuff like that. So there, there are some things that, you know, unfortunately, sadly, that we can kind of relate to, uh, at least, you know, like when I was thinking like working and, you know, with, you know, there's just a talk that you hear about people in bubbles or pods and, you know, all, all this different stuff. Um, the, the amazing thing about this sh- this movie is it has like a big cast. So it has Karen Gillan, it has Iris Apatow, which I don't know if she's been in anything before, but you know she she was good in her role. Has Fred Armiston in, or Armisen in there, and uh, then David Duchovny was in it. Maria Bakalova, Keegan Michael Key was in there. <laughs> Um, Kate McKinnon had a role. Pedro Pascal was—he uh, was pretty funny in here, and uh, a Peter, a, a Sarah Fino-wicks. Um So there's just like all these people in here. Unfortunately, the movie was okay. You know, there were there was a couple funny moments, but. In general, it was you know it's it was like two hours and in uh, like six minutes four minutes, two hours and four minutes something like that, so it was a little long, and it was it was almost a little insulting to the like studio because basically the the studio wanted them to make this movie so they're like okay we're gonna take these actors we're gonna make them quarantine for I don't know if it was ten days or two weeks I forget what they what they said. And, you know, they, they make them, they lock them in these hotel rooms and do all this stuff. And they're like almost going crazy, you know, out of boredom and everything like that. And, you know, there's all this stuff like, you know, getting the swabs up the nose and everything like that. And and all the talk about, you know, they're, now they're in a bubble so, you know, they can stay together and stuff like that. But it's really that, you know, they they want to make this movie. Uh, Cliff Beast is like the 23rd largest action franchise or something like that. You know, they made, there was some comment about that. And I think there's like only one other movie like in production in Hollywood. So part of it is like, we need to do this, we need to get something going, we need to make money, you know. And uh so like, you know, Kate McKinnon, she's like the the ruthless studio exec that's like really pushing him to do all this stuff. So there's uh you know, just different jokes here and there. One of the things that's kind of so Cliff Beast is basically these this is a six movie. And, you know, there's like dinosaurs and and stuff like them, like them them fighting them and everything. And it's interesting how they do like when they they show, because, you know, it's more more about the actors and in between and, you know, getting things ready. But when it comes to like shooting some of the scenes, it's like we're seeing the actual movie. Like they're out in the woods and then they're they're getting attacked. Here comes a flying you know whatever some sort of flying pterodactyl grabbing people, ripping them in half. And but then then it, it like at the toward the end of the scene where it kind of cuts to them like in front of a green screen, you know, hanging on wires. And you know, there's a part where they're like climbing a cliff and some people are kind of sick and like someone passes out and they're just like floating in the sky. Cause we're seeing like the finished version, what it would look like, even though they're still filming it. And so there's just things like that. And one of like the tensions like Karen Gillen's, you know, she was like the, the young actress in the movie and, you know, like the, not really the star, but you know, she was a big draw. She didn't do like the previous movie because, you know, she wanted to do this other thing, but she got a lot of flack from like this controversial movie that she did you know with people didn't approve and uh so with iris apatow she's she's basically like a a tiktoker and she was brought in because she had i I forget it was like three million followers or she has this crazy amount of followers so they're like basically let's bring her in to try to bring in her audience type of thing and so just a, a lot of different absurdities stuff like that like at one point uh, Karen Gillen comes across like this soccer team, you know, on this other floor because there's like all this banging in their hotel rooms. And there's like this other group that are they're in a bubble too. And they're like, we can't cross the bubbles and uh, we are in a bubble and just all the different stuff. And then it, it kind of gets to the point where there's a lot of tension. And it's like, you know, some people want to leave, but it's like they're not allowed to leave because the studio is like, you know, you need to make this movie. And So that it kind of you know puts like not a good light on Hollywood and how ruthless things can be, but there's also a lot of absurdity and stuff like that. And so overall, I mean, it was it was a fine movie. The it it's a great cast. I mean, there there's a lot of talent there, and you know, Judd Apatow's stuff is is usually pretty good. There was just like some moments that just fell a little flat. I almost feel like maybe. If this movie came out, I don't necessarily want to say like a year ago, it would have been better. Maybe six months, I don't know, because I feel like while things are still happening, I'm still, you know, hearing people getting COVID, even though we're, we're, you know, we're vaccinated and stuff like that. I'm still being, you know, cautious in my classroom. I'm still wearing a mask, even though the majority of my kids aren't. I don't trust that. I'm still getting students that are getting COVID. You know, so it's like, it's not safe. I, even though things aren't as bad now, if you are vaccinated, I don't want to take that risk, but you're, you know, whatever. So it just feels like things are, we're in a better place now than it was before. So maybe, but then maybe it's okay to have a movie that kind of pokes fun at things like that, because if we were in the middle of it, it wouldn't be as entertaining. So just, I mean, overall, the, the movie was fine. Like I said, there's a couple, there's some, there's more than a couple. There's some funny moments, but it wasn't necessarily like, you know, falling out of my seat laughing or anything like that. Didn't do do well with with the um, the critics. My main, I'm really curious, like, what the heck was the budget for this? But unfortunately, it's not listed. Because, I mean, that there's a lot of people involved with this. And uh, I don't know how successful. I mean, maybe people might just watch it because of, the people, you know, the actors, but yeah. So it was fine. I would say, you know, when I decided to watch it, you know, I was kind of curious when it came out because, um, you know, I saw it on Karen Gillen's uh, uh, Instagram and I was like, oh, I'm gonna watch it. But, you know, obviously I didn't watch it right away. You know, it was like two weeks later. And it got to the point where it's like, I actually have nothing to watch right now, nothing that I need to watch for the podcast. So I was like, debating is like, well, what should I watch? And then, but then stupid me, instead of watching something for fun, I kind of watch this for fun, but I was like, well, if I watched a bubble, I can talk about it on a podcast. So that's how committed I am to you guys. So I do this for you. It was fine. Um, I don't regret watching it, but if I didn't watch it, I wouldn't necessarily have lost anything. But I I do like a lot of these actors. So, you know, I like Karen Gill and I like David Duchovny especially. And, you know, so it, it was. Uh, Pedro Pascal, you know, there, there's there's some good moments here, so it's kind of worth watching. It's just just be prepared. Okay, and now the main uh, movie feature is Fantastic Beasts: The Secrets of Dumbledore. I I think I like this movie. I think I liked it more than the other. It's it's really weird. So as I mentioned earlier, is I really like the Harry Potter movies. I really like. I really love the Harry Potter books, but the, the Fantastic Beasts movies. There's something about them that just don't click with me, and I don't know what it is. I would think, you know, being, you know, the age I am now, I'm not a kid. I, I would think that these movies would be more appealing to me than the Harry Potter books, because the Harry Potter books are just about a bunch of kids, and you know, so that's harder for me to relate to. But still, you know, they're they're just so good, and they're fun. So with, with these, you know, it's like we have adults, we have, you know, adult, you know, with, with wands and out in the real world, you know, they're not just stuck in a school, you know. So it's like there's so much potential, so much they could do. And, you know, we have all these these creatures and cool stuff. and But it's just, just something about it. I don't know what it is. With this movie, when I first heard the title is like Secrets of Dumbledore. So I was like, okay, you're trying to cash in on the fact, you know, using Dumbledore's name you know, everyone who's read the Harry Potter books obviously knows who Dumbledore is. So you throw that that name in a title, that's going to draw more people. It, it does kind of, it is well, It's almost a little misleading in a way, but not really. And, you know, we, we do get more of, of Dumbledore, of Jude Law in, in here, more with the, with the Grindelwald. So I guess, should we just discuss that without getting into the story? So, as you're aware, uh, Johnny Depp was asked to resign from the movie. I guess he had only filmed like one scene or something like that. And this was because of his libel you know, lawsuit against uh, whatever newspaper or something like that, which he ended up losing or didn't win or whatever. I mean, there's a difference, I guess. And just like the, the publicity. So they replaced him with Mads Mikkelsen. What I was wondering when, when they do this, it's like, you know, are they going to, explain this at all are they going to say it's like oh i'm using some magic to change they don't even address it which i guess is kind of good and that's how i kind of feel about like certain things like in you know marvel or whatever you know if you have to like you know with the war machine they recast war machine there is no mention of it you just you you just move on you know it's unfortunate and this you know it's like okay we we this is just a third third movie out of a proposed five movies which i don't know if the five is going to happen but it's like man you couldn't keep it consistent that being said i i actually was impressed with with mads mickelson i i liked what he did i can't say that i was necessarily like the biggest mad's fan before uh you know what comes to mind is like doctor strange and uh, rogue one you know he he was he was good knows uh, but it's not like oh man he's in this movie i really want to see it now but he he did a really good job i actually kind of like it and i have a you know i've always been fond of johnny depp you know he's always been you know 21 jump street i was nightmare on elm street johnny depp go johnny depp you know edward scissorhands i mean i love edward scissorhands you know he always did such a good job and then it just got to be, you know, and he, you know, his career just expanded. It's an amazing list of movies. But then it just kind of got to be where, like, Johnny Depp was known as, like, the quirky actor. And it's like like a lot of his stuff just kind of to be tended to be the same thing. I recently rewatched the, the last two, the first two Fantastic Beasts movie. And while Johnny Depp was fine in the role, it just not, didn't really... Do it for me. You know, it didn't. He he's supposed to be this completely evil guy. I don't. He wasn't super intimidating. I don't really know how how to explain it. And it just it it was just it was what it was. So now with Mads Mikkelsen, I think he he brings. I don't necessarily want to say a little more maturity. And and what I meant to do is like I'm curious. Like what what's their age difference? You know, are are they about the same age? I would assume so. Um, but Mads Mikkelsen, not that he seems older, but he, 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 I don't know if it's fair to say he seems more, not necessarily more mature. I'm not saying Johnny Depp is immature, but maybe it's because Johnny Depp, again, kind of does the quirky roles. He's awesome. He's a brilliant actor. You know, whatever this stuff is happening in his personal life, who's, he said, she said, that that's all unfortunate. It sucks. It's too bad. I wish that they both could be happy, that they were happy. So I'm trying not to get into that. but. I have to say, I think I, I prefer Mads Mikkelsen in the role. I think he he did a good job. There's a scene between uh, Jude Law and Mads Mikkelsen where they're like sitting in a restaurant, like having this talk, like you know, after the fact, you know, after Mads gets out or after Dum- Grindelwald gets out, and it's it just it just really clicked. And I didn't really quite think about it in a moment, but it's like. If that would have been Johnny Depp, I'm sure he could have done done a you know great job with that, but it just it just really felt right here, so I mean it is what it is so what 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 goes on here basically what we found out i think it was in the last movie, right where Dumbledore can't fight against Grindelwald because of this blood pact that they have. As we all know, if you've read the books or, you know, you know anything like that, you know, basically Dumbledore and and Grindelwald were in a relationship. So you have that. The, and in certain countries, that is going to be edited out. There can't be any gay reference, which... It's that it is what it is. So I embraced a movie for admitting that, you know, they, they can embrace that or whatever, saying that this is what what it was. You know, Albus Dumbledore was gay. Deal with it. Move on. And so, you know, we have that. And that that's why they, in order to stop him, you know, he needs to be stopped. But Dumbledore can't do anything directly. And there's also all the stuff with Credence. Like, we found a, the secret, like, who is Credence really? You know, what's this, his family lineage in, in the last movie? Basically, what the movie, and I'm, I'm kind of, you know, always hesitant, like, how much I want to spoil. But basically, Grindelwald, he's because he's, he's so evil and slick, he's able to, like, turn things around. So even though he's, like, the most wanted person, he's, he's able to get exonerated. And and I won't go into the specifics of how or why or whatever. You know, he has aspirations, you know, he's trying to manipulate the like the Ministry of Magic and all this stuff. And he really he wants to st- like start a war between the witches and and the muggles. So, you know, he has this, all these like things in motion like trying to do all this stuff. And you know Dumbledore and, and you know Newts and you know all them. They're you know they're trying to do their part. Um, Jacob is is trying to recover from Queenie, you know, having gone over with Grindelwald and and everything like that. So there's a lot of part. The, the only um, bad part is Tina wasn't really in this movie because she's so mixed up with the ministry or whatever. You know, dealing with with you know she got like a promotion or whatever. I guess there was some, you know, the whole Credence thing and, you know, Dumbledore and Dumbledore, you know, he's like hangs out with his brother a lot. And, you know, the the big secret. I don't know. I mean, maybe did I miss something? I mean, the the secret was was something. It's, it's not like I mean, when you think like secrets of Dumbledore, it's like, oh, is this going to be scandalous or whatever? Without getting into the specifics, like I said, you know, it's. It's almost a little misleading, but it's not. You know, it is act is factual or whatever. But that's basically what it comes down to: is Grindelwald is manipulating the system. You know, he's doing a brilliant job, lining things up in his favor. But you know, it it it's just bad news, and it's it's not really surprising in a way. It's like how can someone so evil or corrupt? How can they, you know, get themselves in a position of power? And, you know, you have to look, you look at these, all these people like supporting him, like all these evil witches and, and, you know, it's like, what does that say about them? You know, it's like, are they really evil people or do they just really honestly believe that Grindelwald is saying the right thing? You know, maybe they don't realize that he's evil and they just think that, you know, he's able to spin his words and you know not necessarily manipulate them but he's able to convince them that he's in the right that this is a time for a change that you know we got to do this that you know the others they don't know what they're talking about or corrupt or this or that or whatever so then he's able to get all these supporters and it's just it's scary that that's that happens so we have all that with the action with the story developments and i i do i i The more I think about it, I do think Mads Mikkelsen really added to the movie to me liking it a little more. And it's weird because, like I said, I don't not like Johnny Depp. I think he's a great actor. Um, What was the last great movie, Johnny Depp, that I saw? I I honestly can't tell you off the top of my head. I'd have to look and see, like, what was the last movie that that I saw him in? So anyways, I don't really have much else to say because I don't want to spoil the movie. I do think you should see it. You know, I know some people are like, well, I'll just wait till it comes out in 4K Blu-ray and then I'll watch it. I don't want to go to the theater. And again, that's fine. If you don't feel comfortable going to the theater, I think the a movie like this should be seen in a theater if you're comfortable with it, if it's showing somewhere because, you know, there's a there's a lot of really cool visuals that makes it worth seeing. But you know, you you do what what what's best for you. So if, if that's, that's your, you know, your choice, but I, I think it is worth seeing, you know, having seen the other ones and having watched all the Harry Potter movies in the theaters, I think it's worth, worth seeing, but it is still just a fantastic beast movie. Are we going to get two more? It's really hard to say, you know, there has been a lot of talk where maybe they should just call it quits, you know, cause I don't know how they've been doing money wise, but you know there's just a controversy with Ezra Miller um controversy with JK Rowling and just just a lot of you know who knows what's what's going to happen so i don't know if they had what the plans or outlines were for the other two movies you know like after this this almost feels like this feels like it could be the end like this this is kind of like a good place for the trilogy not everything is is uh, concluded or what but it it has a pretty pretty firm ending where things are all settled but there's just a couple loose ends um so yeah so like if this if this happened to be the last movie that would be unfortunate but it it could be satisfying in a way you know it would meet all the conditions that would make a decent trilogy so we'll just have to see what happens uh the movie has a had a 200 million dollar budget it looks like it's projected at making like $56.9 million for the weekend. And I don't know. We're still in kind of like a weird place with COVID and movies not doing as well. But then again, you know, you look at something like was it Spider-Man did like $700 million or something like that. And I forget what Batman did. So who knows? And then if people are going to buy them on Blu-ray or, you know, all that stuff, you know, that, that could add to it. So I I don't know if, I really don't know if we'll get more uh, review wise. Let me let me see real quick. Can I find that without making it awkward? Silence. Uh, reception. Ooh, it's not so good. Forty nine percent. Is that right? I don't know if that. Yes. Yeah, so a Rotten Tomatoes score is a forty nine percent from critics from one hundred and seventy four reviews, and it has an eighty four percent from audience. And over that's from 500-plus verified ratings. So 84%, I mean, that's pretty good if that's what the audience thinks. You know, you have to pick and choose. The critics, yeah, are critics, but critics sometimes see movies where they're like, okay, I got to go see this movie because someone's got to review it. Where the audience, they're going to see it because they want to see it. So yeah, there's going to be some skewness with, with the audience scores, but these are people that want to see it. These are people who paid to see it. So, if they're happy about it, that kind of that sometimes says a little more. So, I don't know. So, take it for what it is. I think it was a fine movie. I, I think, again, I'm not certain, but I, I think it's safe to say I liked it more than the other ones. I know that sounds weird that I'm, I'm not committing to it, but I think it was a better movie than the other ones. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, okay, I did enjoy this more than the other ones. I don't remember what the other Rotten Tomatoes scores were. It doesn't matter. You can look it up. I mean, whatever. So that's what it was. Fantastic Beasts, Secrets of Dumbledore, some good performances, decent story, cool effects. Ending well, it was fine. <laughs> so we'll have to see. Uh, yeah. And, and it's great seeing Dan Fogler in, in his role. Uh, you know, he's 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 a cool guy. So. I'm happy for him. So for his sake, because I, I've got, you know got to meet Dan, talk to Dan, I, I would love for him to be able to do two more movies for his sake. But we'll we'll see. So that's going to be it for this week. So uh, I don't even know how long I talked about that. I always feel bad when it's like the main feature is not that long as, as some of the other sections. But big thanks to David fail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. And if you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And um, I'm currently talking about Moon Knight from 1980, the original Moon Knight series. And uh, so I talked about issue one last week. I'm going to talk about issue two this week. Before that, I talked about 1987 Superman by John Byrne. Before that, I talked about the live action Resident Evil movies that I had watched for the first time. Whew, that was crazy. Um, but if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash for mech, And you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or five. That is ko-fi.com slash G-Man from Heck. So what is going to be next week? I really hope, I don't have my ticket yet, fingers crossed. I'm hoping I'll be, the movie feature will be The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Not the best name, and it's a long name. That's a Nick Cage movie, Nick Cage, Pedro Pascal. If you haven't seen the trailer, Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, it looks amazing. Uh, I just I love it. If you haven't seen watch Willie's Wonderland, if you haven't seen that yet, I, I really love that movie. Nick Cage is amazing. Um, so I'm hoping to see that. And um, the North Man also opens up next week. But there's nothing the, the following week. So I might watch the unbearable weight of massive talent. And then watch the Northman the following week. Maybe I should flip it the other way around. I don't know what's more in demand, what people want to see more. I want to see um, the Nick Cage movie first. Northman, I'm sure I, I definitely want to see it. I actually, I don't, I don't think I've watched a trailer for it. I, I get the general gist of what it's about. I've seen like the posters and stuff like that. So it looks like it's going to be like a cr- pretty cool epic movie. But I, I want to see the unbearable weight of massive talent more. So there's that that one of those will be the feature next week. We'll we'll see which one. Um, it won't be both because I I don't think I'd have time to watch both of them. Uh, as far as TV stuff goes, you know we'll have the same stuff. You know there'll be Moon Knight episode four, more Picard, no Severance. What am I going to do? I don't know. Uh, more Flash, and I think like I, I keep saying, actually, yeah, I think Superman Lois is back next week. So we'll see. Um, I'm not sure if anything else is starting up, but. We'll have all that. So I hope you are doing well. I, again, I'm so feeling overwhelmed, but that's okay. Um, I'm healthy. I'm here. Hope you're healthy. Hope you're there. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're taking care of yourself. Hope you're taking care of others. And I hope you remember to be good to each other.